Welcome to the Galen Trombley Show. You can find me on Facebook at Galen Trombley, on Instagram at Galen Trombley, and on YouTube at Galen Trombley. Spelling G-A-E-L-A-N-T-R-O-M-B-L-E-Y. Enjoy the show. Welcome to the Galen Trombley Show. Welcome to episode 141 of the Galen Trombley Show. Uh, my guest today, um, we've known for quite a while now, I think, a handful of years now, yeah. uh, but Mr. Uh, Scott Sterling with Tri-County Inspections, uh, we've worked... Um, I would say closely real estate's a weird industry because we work with you, but we don't work with you. Like I'm not, I've never been to an inspection with you, but obviously we work hand in hand with a lot of different affiliates and people. And you are one of them that, um, how long have you been doing this? Uh, March will be 20 years, 20. Yeah. So I've been doing real estate 11. So you got about a decade on me in the field. Um, but I've known you now handful of years. And you know what the funny thing is? I think you are the only home inspector if I had to pick out of a lineup, I could actually pick out because we don't meet you. I mean, we right. don't really come in contact a lot. You were actually the first one I met and I don't even know where I met you. And I think you introduced yourself and then we, and now we're in kind of the same groups and we've, you know, I've seen, um, I've seen you often enough and I think you're out and about in the community enough, at least it, from a inspector perspective, the best you can be. But, um, Scott, welcome. Um, happy to have you. Look, I just told you we've had a busy morning for both of us and now it's just kind of a decompress. We get to relax, hang out, talk. Uh, no interruptions with phones, and it's going to be a great day. So, Scott, for people that do not know you, give us kind of a quick run. I say quick. Yeah, take your time. we got a long time. Right. Take, give me a rundown of who you are, where'd you come from, how'd you get to 2021. Scott Sterling. So, my name is Scott Sterling with Tri-County Inspections. Uh, let's just go back to why I got where I am. I mean, I've had some good jobs over the years, and like anybody growing up, you progress from Maybe not the first choice pick of your job, but then you graduate to a better job and better benefits and salary and all this stuff. And and I got where I was, I thought to be happy. But as I progressed in that job for nearly 10 years, I said, man, this is a lot of work. You know, just you, you're always running. There's never an end of the day. Your work's never quite complete. You feel like you're always chasing your tail. And it was a really a turning point that I just said, I don't think I'm happy with what I'm doing. So like anybody else, you, you, you have that thought in your mind going, it's time to think about a different career. What do you do? Where do you focus your energy on? Um, and I grew up with a father who was, you know, a hard worker, but his part-time work, you know, on the side was building. Uh, he did homes, he did garages, he did plumbing, heating, electrical. He is really, in, in my eyes, a, a man of many talents. So you don't think you pay attention. But you learn that stuff over the years, and those things kind of stuck with me. And I'm going, geez, I know how to do this, and I know how to do this. I could do this. And with a little bit more training and education, I could become a building inspector. So <clears throat> when I ran across the article on that, it just made sense. I'm going, this is a good fit. This, I can give back. I can help out the community. I can help out, you know, uh, fellow homeowners or potential homeowners, you know, and, and really do justice. Because sometimes at the end of the day, when we're doing that nine to five job, it's like we're doing a job, but is there a greater good that you're doing with that, you know, and that self-satisfaction and going home that you, you made a difference. And, and this particular field provided that opportunity. So I, I probably took two years 
uh, preparing myself to get in the field. And once I did that, uh, I think I actually did a couple mocks for your office back in the day with your dad. You know, and I I'd reached out to him and said, hey, do you mind if I do a couple inspections to get my feet wet with you just to see what you think and, and my performance and so forth? And it was a kick. Uh, I think it was Cat Laternal back then. Oh, yeah. Wow. But, yeah. <clears throat> so her and, I, her and I became really good acquaintances, and she really liked the quality of my work and stuff. And you just learn over the years of, okay, you got your feet wet, but how do you do it better? How do you change the game, and how do you make it all different? So over time, I've grown, but, you know move ahead uh, nearly 20 years and you have a different uh, view on things and, and how you approach it and uh, and I will say thanks to you I mean in in just the last couple of years I've really tried to change how the business is running and, and how I look at things and how I'm giving that product to my clients and, and people like yourself have helped coach me in today's technology as far as using that social media and and how to deliver the product and there's a lot to say about, you know, your age group and your generation coming up and, and what people expect and, and how to really rethink the game and, and deliver a different package in a better way um, that really still gives that quality and satisfaction. So here we are. Um, do you find that a lot of a lot of people with a background in construction, a lot of people contracting, whatever, plumbing, heating, that they transition into home inspection? Because I find it seems like when people say, I want to get in home inspections, they usually preface it with, oh, I got a background in you know, construction. So I want to get into home inspections. I mean, there's some parallels there, but do you find it that based on other peers or people that are in the industry that is that kind of a common thing or where do you find, um, traditionally you would see that, that skilled contractor looking at that as an option moving as he's later in years getting older, he doesn't want to be swinging the hammer. What else can I do? And they may be guided in that direction, but, uh, you know, sometimes it's just the, I'll hear, I'll, I'll get someone calling me and says, Hey, what do you think? I'm, I'm thinking about becoming a home inspector. You know, I do a little bit of general contracting, but they're a very small one individual operation. They may not be doing that well. And, and they see this as maybe a, I won't say necessarily a get rich quick scheme, mm -hmm. but easy income. And, and honestly, if you're really doing what you're supposed to be doing well, it's not like that. It is a full-time job. It requires your dedication and your attention and, a great deal of training because people depend on you. So you can't be the contractor who's kind of flying by the seat of their pants. You got to be somebody who really has a good eye for things and looking out and know what they're doing. So that's why I say, if we're looking at the seasoned contractor who's been doing this for years and, and they're transitioning into that, that's a typically a good fit. Yes. How like locally, how many, do you know how many inspectors are locally? I think we have a total of 13 right now on the state Third, registry okay. in, in a few, in like in the three County area. Um, and the thing is like, like I couldn't even, if I had to like rattle off inspect home inspectors, I could maybe name four or five. It's just like a weird <clears throat> industry. Cause it's the same thing with appraising. It's like, you know, and, right. But why do you say four or five? What would be your reason why you can only say that many? Because those are the guys that are doing it full time that you see more often or yeah. that you work with. Yep. And, and I think, well, it's like real estate. There's 150 realtors. So if you really ballpark, give or take, you know, maybe five or 10, but, um, at the end of the day, say there's 150 agents, it's like how you still see the same signs of the same people over and over. You don't see 150 different people out there. Right. Um, and really, I would say 90% of them are made up of like six offices. So if you really like break it down, you I mean, a lot of the agents that you see, um, you know, they're, they're all bunched up in the same offices and or the production. Realistically, like the 80-20 principle, like 
like the top 20% of our market probably does 80% of the business. So it's like you really have at 150, 30, 30 agents that are doing majority of the business. And then you have, you know, once you get down to that, you're having people that do, you know, on average, maybe half a dozen a year or less. Because you get to think real estate, like someone does six homes, seven homes, they're considered average, which is yeah. insane to me. But then you have like, you know, like I said, obviously the bottom is, or the top is um, skewed and the bottom, you have a bunch. And then as you get to the top, that's when people start breaking away. Uh, but home inspection, I look at the same thing. You probably only have 20% that really come to mind because they're out there, you're busy, you're, you know, same people over and over again. Um, now, in a typical, say like a typical week, give us a rundown of like what a typical week looks like in home inspection land. Uh, this or the year. world. <laughs> yeah, normal. Like what would kind of be a normal, like, hey, you Monday, know, Tuesday, yeah. Wednesday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Normal season. And people may not always realize, if you're the people looking in at what a home inspector does, you may not realize. If you're the buyer, then you have some kind of insight as to what's happening because you're getting that call Sunday night for a request of a home inspection at you know, 7 p.m. or 8 p.m. or even 9 p.m. And, and someone might send you a text or a Facebook message or, hey, or, you know, we're looking to buy a house. Can we hook you up or, and can we use you? Or So we see as full-time inspectors, which I think just so you know, there's only about three of us out of the, the ones in the area. There's only three of us that are actually operating full-time. Mm-hmm. The others are, you know, part-time with a full-time job and doing this in the afternoons or if they're working swing chef or whatever. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, typically that's what we're seeing. Uh, requests coming in over the weekend. You're trying to plan your schedule. You, you get a working board like you do here in your office. You're trying to lay out your, your week's worth of work and what's there. And, and you try to lay out logistics too. Mm-hmm. That becomes a challenge because you may get a call Friday evening for somebody in Saranac Lake. And then, you know, you get a call Saturday for somebody in Champlain. And then Sunday you get a call for somebody in Moores. And, and there's time frames. We've all discussed this. There are time frames in the contract. So, <clears throat> unfortunately we may not always be able to put the two Saranac lakes together or the two Rosses points or the Ross point Champlain together. And it's unfortunate because it just makes more travel time. So that's probably one of the larger things coming into the week and, and how that week becomes complicated, just shuffling things around of this morning, you're going, you know, half an hour that way in the afternoon, you're driving an hour that way. And then we've got a request for a water sample. So the business really is an on-call basis. Mm-hmm. We may have a schedule for home inspections because of the contracts and people setting things up, but there are those last minute calls that come in from a lenders requesting, we need a septic test or we need a, a pest inspection or we need a foundation cert, mm-hmm. you know, so that changes the game and we try to make the arrangements for those that fit in the schedule. But usually it's <clears throat> coming up, we're, we're forecasting seven to 10 days out in most cases. So we really have a good idea what the week's projection is going to be, how many home inspections we're going to do typically two a day and then the smaller things filter in and keep a very full schedule and like i said those are you know either taking a water sample or a foundation or maybe a roof audit or there's an insurance requirement where you have to do some additional uh, inspection to heating equipment or something like that um but you know at the end of the day before you know it you've got a, a very full week and the following week you've already got stuff falling in place and, and getting that schedule set so having an office um, and I'll just say this as a shout out to you guys, having an office with a coordinator mm-hmm. really makes it easy on the inspectors because we don't just have a text message coming through with a request for somebody and we don't have all the details when your office sends a request. And we've got all the contacts. So our life's a little bit easier. So in some regard, we have a, a, a personal assistant working on our behalf 
well, and, and I, helping that out. I uh, yeah, that's one way we set up the office because like same, I look at you know my my dad has been doing this for years is the fact that like me as an agent, my time's best spent. Like I'll be honest, I never text you. Very rarely do I ever text you. I never set up anything with you, and I, I we've been doing this for over a decade, and I've. I, Probably count on a couple or maybe one hand, yeah, two hands max of how many times I've texted you to schedule something, and usually it's quick changes or right question on something, but very rarely we say, hey Scott, can you go out this date and set something up? Because we just Nicole is the person that we do. Before it was Debbie for many years, yes. and um, the benefit of it is like as and I tell I tell this to new agents, it's like if you come on, if you're in real estate and you come on, you're a real estate salesperson. So I said at the end of the day, realistically, like our job is mostly done by the time the contract gets written. You have some negotiations on inspections, potentially on, you know, appraisals that they come up and then, you know, scheduling a walkthrough. But all in all, most of the stuff from contract to close is on attorneys, it's on banks, and the home inspections early on in the process. Then it's like a six week window where it's just like mostly banks and attorneys. Well, I always look at it as I really can't affect that that much. Like the, the amount of input and change that I have in that is very minimal. So I don't want to put a lot of like time into that. So Nicole keeps all that glue together, but then that gives me all that time back to then do other stuff, um, more business, whatever it might be, my family, things like that. So that's how we've always broken it up, just purely for the fact of what's our, what is the best use of our time? Best use of our time is not texting you and saying, hey, can you go out and show a property? I'd rather have one person do it. Like you said, it's kind of like mission control, central command. Exactly. And then... I just know and I can check my notes in our database and just kind of figure out where everything's happening, you know, when you're doing it, what, at what time, you know, and I, I can see that and I check that, you know, I, I would say almost every day. I mean, I'm in my notes every day, but every day I'm checking, you know, or every other day I'm checking the files depending on where people are at. Um, but it's purely so it frees up the agents to do what they're, what we are deemed or do best is that. So like for you, again, I see you more out of the office than I do, I guess, in the office or in the space. <laughs> right. And even when we get reports, I mean, I check in with you if there's something where I need like clarification, right. but most of the time it's, I would say in a year, once or twice, I might have to call you and say, Hey, can you expand on this a little bit further? Or what did you mean by this? But it's very rare. And I, to be honest, I don't even know the last time I called you about. A exactly. I mean, in most yeah. cases, if we're doing the right job and we're providing with the information on the report, there's no need for you and I to make contact. We, we've got things set up through your coordinator. We've done the inspection. You've got all the details in front of you. Like you said, unless you need clarification because something might be misinterpreted because mm -hmm. of the photos versus the verbiage, there's really no need. And it's very minor. If it happens, it's very minor. But the other thing, too, is I look at you do the report. I've seen a – I would say probably a 1,000 reports in 10 yes. years. Yeah. I'd say that's probably fair. Um but say if okay, even if I go on low end seven hundred to a thousand reports, I know, I know what I'm looking at. I know what majority of the stuff is. Now I've gotten to the point where like anything that really comes up, most of the time it's the same stuff. So then you kind of look at it. It's like you might have some grading issues. You might have some minor electrical repairs. You might have some flashing on the roof, like the the hot water uh, extension on the hot water tank. I mean, you see the same things over and yeah. over again. So a lot of times we know what the problem is and how to alleviate it. So like. Where I may have called you more in the in, back in the day, now I'm just like, okay, I know what he's saying on this. I know what that is. I know who to ask. I know what needs to be done. I also know like what's the remedy for it, so I can talk to clients and say, listen, this is typically what it is. This is what we can see, and like kind of work our way around it, so we're not seeing 
as much confusion when it gets to that point where, you know, years ago it'd be like, I don't even really know, you know, I'm, I'm learning it. And then, you know, you start seeing stuff over and over again, that's a benefit. And then again, number two of it, the write-ups there, and I kind of understand it. There's not a whole lot where I got to call you on stuff. And yeah. usually the photos are fine. I can navigate through it and we know the next course of action. I don't have to be like, Hey Scott, what's, what's this photo of like, why is it leaking? Like, okay, it's leaking because of this gutter, right. you know, flashing. Like, you can kind of go through the checklist of where you know it's going to, or what you know the problem is going to be. Um, but it makes it more streamlined. Because a home inspection, the deal falls apart in real estate. I explain to people that at 90% of the time, it's typically an inspection. Because the only time in the process that buyer, seller, or sorry, I say buyer, seller, agent, lender, everybody gives full control to the buyer because it's up to their expectation level. Because there's no pass fail to a home inspection. Exactly. I, I should say that the, the main home inspection, like you're going to write up an outlet and be like, hey, that outlet's got something wrong with it. Maybe reverse polarity. You, you write down, you know, check the box, yes or no. But at the end of the day, the only person that deems it as a pass fail is the buyer. Correct. So then it's kind of like, that's where we kind of give it to them and like, well, hopefully they're realistic and that, and then you got to kind of work through it. And I've seen everybody. I've seen the people that want everything done on a house that's worth 130000 It's like, eh, not realistic. And then you get people that, I look at the report. I'm like, "Ooh, they want to ask for a couple of things." Like, now we're fine. I'm like, okay, awesome. But you know, to some degree, I do believe that a good seasoned realtor who pays attention to their clientele and the property and looks at those inspection reports and reviews them, you've become an apprentice. Mm-hmm. I yeah. mean, you to yep. some degree, you are an inspector's apprentice because you've seen all this content, like you said, over and over, and you're very familiar with the working aspects of a home, the terminology, what we're talking about how serious that issue is that we're discussing the report and, and how not serious it is so that you're able to navigate through that report, like you said, and, and you can say to the clients going, no, we, we do see this more often than not. You know, this is very common. This is a very minor repair. These other issues are something we need to discuss and probably come up with a negotiation as far as who's going to take care of the repair or how or the costs involved. That's the occasional, mm-hmm. but more often than not, it's, you know, either some small deferred maintenance issues or, you know, like you said, the typical uh, pressure relief valve on a water heater, that's probably number one. It's just, it, it is what it is. Yeah. We put it on there because it's a health and safety item. Mm-hmm. Is it going to kill anybody? No, but, you know, we, we have requirements by law that we have to document things correctly too. Yeah, well, and if I take a step further and go back and say apprentice, that's a good word for it because I've gotten to the point now, like, I know a lot of the stuff that's going to be on the home inspection. So when I'm meeting with clients, so typically, like, I have one after this, like, when I go meet someone about listing their property, I go and I like to do basically a two-step process. Number one is I go out, I meet with you, purely a consultation. Like I meet with you, I check the house, we discuss your plans, we discuss why you're selling, we discuss um, your finances. We discuss everything so we're on the same page, but part of that is, is there anything in the house that you would deem that you are worried about inspection-wise? Is there deferred maintenance that you know that you probably should have taken care of that you didn't? Um, is there anything that you have to do leading up? So that is number one. And then number two, typically a week, two weeks, two months later, whenever that time frame might be is when I go out and actually finalize the listing. And sometimes it's three steps. If I go out and do the paperwork and there's something that needs to be changed, then maybe we have photos after. But like I say in a morning group all the time, like if you're planning on selling, like, get me out there a couple months ahead of time, because there might be some minor things that we want to make sure if you need to hire someone to go out and do it, like we have some lead time. But I go in and say, hey, is there anything with an inspection? And I'm going through, and like if I was to look at this office, 
I typically would glance around. I'm not looking at the table. I'm not looking at the furniture. I'm looking up. Is there cracks? Is what's the, I go. I literally go up, look at the ceiling. I go down the cracks. I look at the floor. I look at the trim. I look at everything. And like you mentioned here, you got a little settling here. Like, but I would, I would uh, if I feel any kind of off center. Hey, is a little slope here. What's going on? So I'm already asking them questions because I know buyers are going to ask this, and it's like anything foundational freaks people out. Um, so a lot of the times it's like okay. It, there's slope here. What's going on? Well, it's slope. We got we put some new beams under, or we put some new posts underneath. We're trying to slowly jack the floor up. Okay, great. I just want to know all the main things in the property, and a lot of it stuff is just aesthetics. But like, I also want okay, we have some aesthetic stuff that maybe we should like maybe patch up here and there, or do you have some settling cracks that maybe someone freaks out and thinks the house is gonna fall? And it's a taping issue. It's not a, a foundation issue or settling, but it might just be simply uh, splitting the tape. Can you get someone to come here and just fix it so it doesn't look like crap? But like. But a lot of it is you're trying to get ahead of the game so when it does get to home inspection that we're not wasting, you know, a week to get, you know, for the inspection to happen. Then all right. of a sudden they decide they don't want it. Now you're a week and a half off the market, especially depending on the season. Um, the one thing that I wish everybody did, and a, I'm, cur I'm curious to see what you think, small percentage I believe do is pre-inspections. Um, how many people do you think do pre-inspections? I know my number of you know, listings, I, I do think it's under 20%. Between 10 to 12 inspections a week. And, you know, of that number, honestly, I'm seeing maybe one out of that. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, right, 20 so if we, if, yeah, so if we put it in perspective, maybe one out of 10 are actually asking for a, a pre-listing inspection. Um, and those are just, I find that those in most cases are the older couple who are prepared, who have the resources, who want to make sure that they're handing this home off to the new young couple in the right fashion. Mm -hmm. They're doing their due diligence. They don't want a surprise. Mm -hmm. They they don't want the anxiety of inspection day, like you say. Um, so, yeah, they're taking advantage of that option. And, and in some cases, they're like, they call the office and they ask, do you do that? You know, like they're not aware of it. So maybe I need to advertise more on that and, and put it out there to encourage people. Um, so they do, they do take action on that, you know, because maybe that's what part of the market is. We don't see it as often because in our area, the inspectors as a whole don't really broadcast that and really push it that hard to really have people get their ducks in a row. Mm -hmm. I mean, and that's what anybody does. You know, if you, you want to trade in your car, what are you going to do? You, you wash it, you wax it, you clean it up, you make sure it looks decent because when you go, you want to get the best dollar possible. Mm -hmm. Think about that for the home as well. If you're doing the same thing, getting your home prepared for the sale, like you say, you're walking through as an agent going, all right, these might be issues. Let's take care of the bigger ones and the smaller ones we can let lie. That's Those might be some, some hangups during the inspection. Like when you say um... – like the prep work for it. Like when I, and I mentioned pre-inspections a lot to people and especially if it's those homes that, you know, like, you know what I'm talking about? Like the ones you're just like the older home, stone basement, you know, kind of like deferred at maintenance. And it's like, like a brand new home, not too concerned because it's going to be minor if they find anything, right. but it's like the major stuff. Like, Hey, I just want to know because we should one price accordingly, but two get ahead of the fact and make sure that you can either take care of stuff because the pre-inspection to me for, whatever the four to $500 you're going to spend on a pre-inspection. It is worth way more than that because on the back, because one, you're saving time two, two, you're saving the stress and three, you're most likely saving that amount of money because a $500 credit to me, if there's something that comes <coughs> up is like a low credit in, yeah. in the home inspection land. So to me, as you do, you do it. I don't think you're losing out on the money. I think it's just like an insurance policy that, Hey, we're getting ahead of the game. The other thing I find too is if, 
if you go and meet someone at the house, do a home inspection, they meet with you, you meet them at the house, or you're there talking them through the, the, the findings, I find that them receiving it at that moment is can be worse than them getting something very early in the process when they're making an offer. Because I find if they're just like flipping through the report and the person might say, hey, listen, I already took care of these items. And they're like, okay, it's not, it's not that bad. Then a lot of times, even if they waive their inspection, like at that point, they look at it and review and say, hey, I'm good with this inspection. Right. You got ahead of the game because I think you kind of lessen the blow where if somebody goes like, hey, we want this house. And all of a sudden you list off 10 items that you have to list off. And you realistically know none of them are major issues. And like, I definitely don't back out because of this. But in their mm. mind, like, oh my God, we have this issue and this issue. And all of a sudden, they're in their head, they're thinking doomsday where you're like, oh, no, you may, maybe have $1,500 worth of stuff here max. And that's like, if you want to do it. Yeah. Or, you know, realistically, even if you have to do it, it's home ownership. Like, it's not that big of a deal. I find that the pre-inspection alleviates a lot of that back end stuff. Um, I mean, what, what's your opinion being on like the inside of that? conversation so your delivery and and how you inform those homeowners as to what's going on obviously is very crucial i mean that i can't stress enough that you know a good inspector is really prepared to take those findings they have and deliver that to the homeowner in a fashion that they not only understand it but so that they're not worried and, and, and like you said nervous going oh my god it's doomsday it's not You've taken this step for one reason, so that you have a better understanding of the actual condition of your home and in state right now, and with that potential buyer coming in, that pre-sale inspection or the pre-listing inspection is going to be informative to you. It's going to help you out. It's going to give you the list of typically the issues that are going to come up, and you're showing that potential buyer that you're taking action. You're showing them that you are not only prepared to sell your home, but you've taken a step further saying, We've also paid to have someone inspect it, not on our behalf, but on behalf of the sale process so that we can prepare this correctly and that we're aware of everything. We've reduced an anxiety coming into it. Should the buyer choose to have their own separate inspection on top of that, that's their choice. But honestly, anybody who's done a pre-listing inspection and done it thoroughly, the buyer should be able to take that information, that data, and move forward without necessarily hiring their own because it is on both halves. I mean, it is it is really just a representation of the house. Mm -hmm. So although the homeowners may be my clients, the inspector report is about that property. So whoever takes possession, the information is really theirs to be using. Um, and when I walk through and, and I see these items or concerns, you know, we don't, <clears throat> we don't focus on too long on any given issue because we're not trying to create that level of stress or anxiety. We want to educate the, the homeowner, let them know what's going on. This is very common. This is typical of a house of this age. Here's what the typical repair would be. You know, you, you touch on each subject briefly, and you make sure that they're clear on the understanding as to what's going on. And at the end of the day, if you've done that correctly, the homeowner is extremely satisfied. They're very content with the information you've given them. And one service at my company office specifically um, and I don't know about the competitors, and, and honestly, that's not my concern. It's what I do. Mm -hmm. When a homeowner does that that option to do the pre-listing inspection, I always say to them, when you're done, if you take the report and you go through and you do XYZ repairs, when those repairs are done, if this done before your potential offer comes in, call me. 
I will do a courtesy walkthrough and update the inspection report, or we can do a bullet list and sign off on those open items. Whatever ones you've repaired, mm -hmm. I'll reinspect and say, yes, it's been repaired. Is it's correct? It's done the right way. We're satisfied. We are just missing that as an issue at this point. Yeah. And that just gives the homeowner leverage because now they have that buyer coming in saying, here's a copy of our inspection report. Here's the repair list we did. The inspector came back and he has signed these off saying the repair was acceptable. Yeah, I think it, like you said, delivery is huge. Um, and I think a lot of it is it, most home inspection issues at the end of the day, I find almost everything can be remedied for the, for the most part. Um, I, I know, I find the biggest three, the three biggest issues I find with anybody for inspections, mold, asbestos, foundation. And those are three. And I, I tell a lot of clients, your main issues are always in, in Correct me if I'm wrong, but basement, attic, exterior of the home. Typically, the interior of the home where you're living is yeah. fine. I mean, you're going to have some outlet issues here and there, but you live there, you see it every day. If there's an issue, it becomes an annoyance, and then you fix it. Most people don't look in their attic. Most people, depending on the style of basement they have, probably don't go in their basement too often. they got an old stone basement that's partial basement. They're probably not crawling around looking at stuff, and the beams are rotted. And then the exterior of the home is just weather. You know, we live in an up upstate New York. We have four seasons. Exactly. A lot of days we have, you know, inclement weather, weather. Um, but I think if people realize that one mold can be taken care of, like Mike Stokel has done multiple, t multiple Absolutely. jobs with us. And I mean, I've seen photos <clears throat> and work that he's done that to me is completely night and day. So, I mean, it is fixable. And then, I mean, what's your thought on asbestos? So when I deliver that comment to the clientele, mm -hmm. I really try to educate people in a very brief moment in time. It's, you know, like anything else, the building you have here is spectacular. It's a very unique building. Mm -hmm. um, it's a brick facade. It, it's got character to it. It was done at that point in time with the building materials that were available. And the design concept was done because of that designing process back in the day. So that's how I approach the asbestos. <clears throat> I try to inform and educate people that, the asbestos was a material that was used back in the day because it was readily available. It was fire retardant. It was used in a lot of things because it had a lot of benefits. It was like anything else that we find in, in society that only years later after studies and, and things or adverse effects are happening that we find out that there are dangers or adverse effects and pe people have cancer or, or die from a certain product or the exposure of certain products. So I informed the clients of this is a material that was readily available back in the day. And these homes of this age typically have these materials in the home. So we have to expect that. We're going to find that. If we don't, someone may have already remediated and removed those products from the home. But, you know, anytime you step back into the homes that are dated in time, it's a very common or very likely to see those products in the home. It's just part of the process. And people just have to understand Nobody put asbestos in a home on purpose to cause someone to, to become ill or have an adverse effect. They did it because that's what was on the shelf. That's, that's the building materials that were available. That's what they used. So then the approach is, okay, what is the risk factor? What do you have? Where is this product and how much of a risk does it pose to you? And then here's your options. As a homeowner, you can do what you want yourself or you can pay someone to remediate and, and get rid of the product. So I usually just put it out there very quickly you know, that little speech on it's, this is what was available, but here's your options. And 
in most cases, I find like, you know, like I discussed delivery in most cases that really takes the edge off some people. I won't say it's not a concern for others. It is for some people. It's a, it's a deal breaker, mm-hmm. you know, but for the average individual, they understand that when you break it down in simple terms, they really understand it and it makes sense to them and they're willing to take the next step or, or do it themselves or, or can we conceal it? Can we encapsulate it and reduce the issues? Most of, and again, for, for asbestos, most asbestos, unless you are physically like breaking it up and like causing, I mean, if it's just sitting there, it's fine. Right. It's when you break it. So like a lot of times you find like the floor tiles. Floor tiles are a very low risk. I mean, unless you're sanding it, you know, the only thing I ever tell people is just, you know, you have to make sure you're finding out if you're going to cover this, what the process is so that you do it correctly. Mm-hmm. But, you know, unless you're sanding it down, it, it, it does, you know, have a much less risk factor in it as opposed to, say, the asbestos wrap on heating pipes in the basement that's falling apart and deteriorating. That can become airborne every time you open and close doors and you're moving products around. So there are some that are higher, like even the acoustic tiles that have asbestos. Mm-hmm. Again, unless you're dusting the ceiling and sweeping it, you know, you're not, and, and, and doing remodeling, you're not going to really disturb a whole lot there to create a higher risk value. Um, you get the shingles on the outside of the house. I've heard popcorn ceilings. Like, I mean, there's so many things that they have, and it's again, it's a lot thousands of thousands of products. Yeah, and it's just kind of like the one where it's depending on your tolerance. Like me personally, like if I had asbestos something, I'm like I don't really care unless I'm breaking it. Like I, if I had to remove it, you, know, you have to do it safely. You know, it's yeah. not. Um, I mean, it's it's one, but again, it's like it's the tolerance of the person. So like I find there's certain things that I get home inspections and someone asks about it, I'm like. I'm like, that's really nitpicky, yeah. but it's what the client wants. But as an inspector, you have to be very careful on that because if you're not asbestos certified to do an asbestos survey, then you're really only going off the training you have to be as well educated or informed as to what products may or may not contain that so that you're not misinforming the client because that would be a very bad thing of saying, hey, this is probably good asbestos. And you've killed the deal only to find out that it does not. Mm-hmm. So you have to be very careful of, of how you deliver that content. Well, I, I tell everybody that at the end of the day, home inspectors are like generalists, meaning that you kind of like jack of all trades, you know, and you might, my, I find that you have a, a pretty good knowledge base beyond like what a normal inspector would have. But still at the end of the day, you're like your jurisdiction kind of ends at that home inspection level where a lot of it's like, Hey, and you could probably say like, you know, we call off air off the record, but it's like, Hey, this is what I, you know, this is something that, but look into it, but you know, this is ways that you could fix it kind of more as like, you know, if you were to look at it as kind of a, a third party person, but at the end of the day, I look at most of it is deflected to more specialists, you know, Hey, foundation, have a you know contractor, have a foundation person, you know, or if it's electric, like get an electrician in here to work on it. And I find that you know, you kind of get to the point where sometimes we do extra inspections. Like you have the main one and then, right. hey, I'm going to get someone else out there, second set of eyes, just someone a little more specialized, give me a quote, kind of work off that. Um, and it's all fine. A lot of it's just a lead time to get someone out there. Um, even 10 years in, this is something that I still find crazy is that it's very hard to get someone that's responsive in every industry. Like yes. I want an electrician out there. I want <clears throat> heating and plumbing. I want contractor. It's like everybody's busy and it always seems like, man, we might get someone out. Hey, I can't get out for 10 days. And it's like, okay, so then we're just waiting for 10 days and then you get someone and then it's back to square one. Like, Hey, how, how did it go? How's the inspection? I had one that happened today. Yeah. I think this morning actually. Yeah. It's this morning. And I'm waiting. We kind of got an email from one of the, one of the people and it's like, you know, we don't know where it is, but that was, 
the actual inspection happened like 15 days ago. And now the person's just getting out and we're trying to like coordinate that. So we're going to have like three weeks, probably two to three weeks invested just in the inspection. So it's like, because a lot of it, it's like lenders aren't even sending out appraisers until, which makes sense because you don't want people to pay for appraisal if they don't want the home. But it's like that initial home inspection is kind of the the first big hurdle. Then once you pass, you're like, okay, we're good. Now we can kind of like, like basically steamroll the rest of it through. But it's huge. Home inspection is a huge point. I I will touch on your subject of generalized most people don't realize, and, and the expectations, like you say, is another component. What people expect out of the home inspection, in layman's terms, yes, jack of all trades, you know, not necessarily master of any. We have a lot of training. I mean, if you're if you're a good seasoned inspector and you're doing your due diligence and you're doing your continuing ed, you're always following up in different aspects of the home building process and, and the materials that are being used and the equipment being used and the products available so you can make the right recommendations. But we're not master plumbers. Mm. We're not master electricians. You know, we have a great deal of training in every single aspect of the home. But at the end of the day, we may require the engineer to come and look at that foundation. We may need a certified electrician to come in and and, and look at something that just doesn't quite make sense because we do not, this is not our, our living. We're not installing electrical. We're not installing plumbing. You know, what may look appropriate or may not necessarily look correct is when we're making those recommendations. So if something's not working correctly with the septic, we're asking someone to go a step further. You're going to have to have someone come and, and take these steps to go a little further. You're going to have to, like you said, contact an electrician to come in and do some additional tests because something doesn't make somewhere along the line. But people don't realize we have you know, home takes what, eight, 12 months to build at a a steady pace. And we're inspecting this within three hours. So, you know, when a home is being built, there are code inspections that are done throughout the process, the the foundation, and then the balloon framing, and then the rough-in for electrical, rough-in for plumbing, the insulation, the the walls and the roofing. So there are steps along the way are being taken. We don't see all those steps. We're trying to identify everything possible in the condition of those things in a very short time frame and really reporting as much thoroughness back to the client as possible. So we do have limitations and, and maybe people may not always realize that there are limits to what we are able to do and report back on. What's the, what's the fastest inspection? What's the slowest inspection you've done? Fastest, uh, manufactured homes are pretty simple. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's no attic space. It's a crawl space. It's a dirty job, but it's relatively quick and easy. We're making sure the piers are intact, that there's no cracked blocks, the slabs in decent condition, the home setting correctly. But it's a manufactured home. It comes from a factory. Nine out of ten, we run into almost no electrical issues. Um, so if the roof's in great shape and there's no electrical issues and the plumbing's all working correctly, those are pretty fast. I mean, an average devil-wide with no additional attachments can be done in an hour and 15 to an hour and a half. I mean, and that's still doing a thorough job. That's mm-hmm. doing your due diligence. You're still doing everything you need to do, but checking the, every outlet, checking every room. Yeah. Check, yeah. But the home, it comes in a much different package. You know, it, the older homes, uh, or the homes that have many additions that have been put on over the years. Those are the ones that take, you know, two and a half, three and a half hours because, there's changes along the way. It's people move partitions. The the foundation has changed. The electrical has changed. The plumbing has changed. And you're running across multiple issues because you've had several different contractors over the year doing different work and maybe some not quite as good as others. So your job becomes a little bit more intense. I think the, 
I think the longest since, uh, showing I've ever done, I'm trying to think. I, I would say an hour and a half is probably the longest. Um, most, I, I would say average 15 to 20 minutes at a home. If I find if people are looking at multiple homes, it's about 15 to 20 minutes per home. If they're looking at one home, it's probably a half hour to maybe 35 minutes, depending if there's like semi-interest. Um, the longest showing I've been on is, or not showing, listing. Probably a little over three hours, start to finish. Um, and then I would say the quickest one I've ever been on, quickest listing, half hour. Like may- maybe 40 minutes tops. Now keep in mind, I mean, you're asking that, and I'm giving you the residential side. I was going to ask about commercial. After. I'm commercial as well. Yeah. So on that end, I mean, I've had inspections that last four days. That's wild. You know, uh, 125 units, you know, 12 buildings. You know, you're doing this huge commercial uh, warehouse complex. I mean, there's a lot to do. Uh, I did I care the Adirondacks a few years ago, and that was the location here in Plattsburgh, the location in Malone, and the location in Saranac Lake. We had to do uh, all three. And I had to do them all before operating hours. So it was four in the morning. Oh, my God. So we started at four in the morning, and then by Ooh. 8.15, rolling out the door. Uh, How was that driving to Malone and Saranac Lake? You know, those are more like... I mean, you're uh, living at what, like 2.30, 3 in the morning? Yeah. I mean, you oh. know, but the Saranac Lake location is like a, maybe like an old uh, public works garage that was converted. And the Malone location is like an old medical office. <clears throat> so very simple structure there. Yeah. But the one here in Plattsburgh, well, I had 16,000 steps in in a matter of uh, two and a half hours. I mean, that's a lot of building to cover. People just don't realize that your job takes you up and down a ladder many many times in a day in stairs and up and down because once you start running water yeah you, you got to go back up and check this you got to so you're trying to do you're multitasking the process to do different things but you are on the go non-stop what a well one thing i want to get into is i mean you're you're in pretty good shape i would say like Thank from, you. from the layman's like from the naked eye i would say like looking at you you look like obviously you're on your your feet a lot. You're doing a lot. You're running around a lot. Do you do you stay up on like do you work out or is it just more of like on the job or I do I do uh, probably thirty minutes of exercise every day in nice. the morning before I leave. Um, but my job is exercise. Yeah, like we discussed. You you your steps and then get I'm your... up and down a ladder all day long. I'm up and down stairs all day long. I'm carrying equipment all day long. I'm crawling in you know crawl spaces that are sometimes only a block high. You know, I mean, why say block high? Twelve, fifteen inches. Yeah, sometimes it's limited, but you're doing. A 70-foot double wide, you're going down the middle and then back down this side and back up that side and back down. You know, so you're staying in shape. So I, I was doing a... This we, is not for the weak of heart. We, we were... Uh, <laughs> well, and it's also, I mean, not for people that are... I mean, you got to be in shape to do it because like I said, you're putting in small spots, you're, yeah. getting, you're crawling up in the attics, you're doing all this kind of stuff. So it's not really for big people either. And um, I we were putting... A, we were changing the heating system over a couple of years ago in our house. So I had to go through and take out all the insulation... Um, Basically, we were just putting in in-floor heat. So I had to go through, take all the insulation down in this house. And I think we had a, yeah, we had a drop ceiling. I probably had a bunch of asbestos. Probably wasn't that, whatever. <laughs> it was fine. So I'm pulling down all this drop, uh, drop ceiling. I'm cr- I go in this crawl space. We have one spot. Our basement's a full basement, but one spot's a crawl space. So like, I, the house was built in 1990. So it's all poured. So it's a pretty right. clean basement. But I go in, so they go through the crawl space. So I'm like diving in there, and I'm like, I remember thinking of you why I was doing this. So I'm sitting there, pulling insulation down. I'm laying on my back on, 
It wasn't even dirt because I took like cardboard box and yep. I like just kept sliding the cardboard box. So it wasn't like just completely filthy and stuff. Yeah. But I remember getting out of there. I was sweating like crazy. I was dirty. I mean, I had goggles on and everything, but I was just completely, I was a mess. And I mean, it wasn't the worst thing because you're on your back. So it's kind of like almost like Michelangelo painting. Like you're just sitting on your back and pulling <laughs> stuff, but you're like trying to rip stuff down. You're trying to go over stuff. You're pulling cords out. Like you got these random cords running everywhere. And I mean, it, it's it's not for someone that doesn't like uh, or is claustrophobic. Yeah, you cannot. Right, you can't be in those spaces like that. I mean, it was it, a little you, creepy, but I was thinking, I mean, you do this every day, every single day. You know, and I'll tell you, uh, it is a mission. I mean, I'll just put it in that term because yeah. sometimes you get to these homes and you're outside and something just doesn't look right. Something just doesn't quite make sense, and you're seeing that here's the potential. And this is what I try to say. I always tell this on season versus non-season because when you've been doing this for a long time you've seen the adverse effect you know that that little thing outside means uh probably a hidden issue inside and you're in that crawl space but like you said it's getting smaller and smaller and smaller and the smaller it gets the more narrow it gets the dirtier it gets you've got a much more confined space you're reaching to the limits where you don't want to put yourself in jeopardy but you've got an obligation to take care of your client and that last 10 feet is all the difference in the world. Mm -hmm. the, the difference between handing off an inspection that says everything's great to telling a client that you found something very unfortunate that may be a deal breaker and as difficult as that is for us inspectors to deal with the fact that, you know, everybody's put all this work into this deal that's going to fall apart and these homeowners are not even aware of this issue that may be thousands of dollars in repairs, that 10 feet is really what matters. And, and getting that 10 feet and documenting it correctly is everything. It was just like not cutting corners. It's it. I remember, uh, you know, playing sports back in the day. It was kind of one of those, like, did you touch the line or not touch the line? And I remember when I was coaching, <laughs> right. I was coaching basketball and I had a coach, um, that was, I had a couple coach, my soccer coach back in the day and my basketball coach, same thing. It was like, if you're going, if I say, you know, go to the line, go to the line, don't get there and be half a step. And cause it, to me, it's just lazy. Like if you're going to go all the way, even my kids now, and I get my, my son the other day was like riding his bike. I said, okay, go, go touch the door and come back. So he gets all the way on his bike and he's pretty much there. I mean, if he went like that, he would touch it. Yep. But he took it and he turned his bike and came back and said, you never touched, you never touched it. He goes, yeah, I did. I said, no, you didn't. You did not touch it. So go back and touch it. So it wasn't, I mean, yes, he was, he physically got all the way there, but it's just the act of making sure that you completed the task, which is as simple as touching the line yep. and then coming back. Cause I just find if you fall short, it's like, it's black, white. Did you touch the line? It's like, it's not. There's like no gray area. Like, did you touch it or not? And that's, that's it, it's small, but I think you said like, Scott, did you go all the way to the end of the wall? And like, well, I, I could see it, but like, did you go all the way? And like, and it makes a difference. I think. Well, when you walk in the attic, you know, I don't know how many times I've heard a, a client ask me, you go in the attic space, right? You yeah. boots on the roof, right? They want to know that you're going all the way. Yeah. You know, when I go into an attic, unless I can't get in there. I'm going all the way. And when I say all the way, if the scuttle's in the middle, I go all the way on that end, and I go all the way on that end. So it may be when I go that direction, I look at everything on one side of me. I'm looking at the ridge and looking at the, the slopes going down and the soffit and the venting and all that. And then when I come back, I'm looking at the other side of the rooftop. And then the same thing for the other end. So you might be in the attic for 25 minutes. Well, you know what? It's July, and the attic is 135 degrees. Yeah. So you do half. You come out, you take a breather for a second because, yeah. well, we don't want heat exhaustion and nobody wants the inspector falling through their ceiling, yeah. for God's sakes. But there are 
challenges and, and not everybody realizes that when it's 95 degrees out and you're doing that well, it's a tough job well you're also not in short and t-shirt <laughs> yeah it's like you got a mask you get your you got your knee yes. pads you got like i mean you got like a belt around you you got yeah like you got what, 20 pounds of gear i was gonna say how much gear you yeah. got about 20 pounds yeah um and you're wearing boots and pants and everything else yeah. i mean you got gloves and um and you're wearing long sleeves most of the time right you know, the summertime, I will wear a, a, a polo shirt or something okay. like that. You know I mean? But I do dress for the job, and, and you've seen me, the pants and the gear that I wear. I mean, a shirt's a shirt. But, yeah. I mean, you know, last thing you, I usually, want. Usually wear, like, stuff. I'm probably not that dressed up. During but. the during the, the cooler days, I will wear a long sleeve dress shirt. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and I wear very nice uh, 5'11". Uh, cargo gear pants because they're water wicking they got double line knees they got a double line crotch the last thing you want to do is step on a ladder and get up in the attic and the and the clientele is down below watching you as you split your crotch mm-hmm. no you buy nice gear to do your job i buy boots that have slip resistant uh uh grip on the bottom you know that are steel toes or plastic cap toes you protect yourself you put on eye gear you put on half face respirators full face depending on the situation but you up your game. You really do. You do, like you said. Who wants to see the inspector show up in a pair of cut off jeans and a and a beat up t shirt? The first thing is like, did we hire the right guy? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's still a profession. Like you still go in, and um, that's the one thing. Like I would think, like you almost could go in like a. Their home is my office, and I have to go into the office. Like ratty jeans and like a like a beat up sweatshirt with yeah. paint on it, but. Um, I mean, that's how, like normally at your house, like that's how you'd be. But then, yeah, you're going out in public. You try to dress up a bit, and um, so. Um, I was going to ask you about, okay, so you said on commercial, how how often do you do commercial versus um, like residential? So residential is my main streamline, mm-hmm. obviously. Uh, we don't see that much of commercial change hands, but you know, a lot of times it is literally just changing from one party to another and the, and the lenders requiring an initial audit or inspection to the property. So it's very generalized. Okay. So those are pretty, pretty basic, pretty easy, but we are looking for the same things. But I do, on average, uh, about two commercials a month uh, okay. during the hot season, anywhere from three to four a month. Um, now, when you call Tri-County. So, I mean, how often are you in Clinton County versus Franklin and Essex? Like, what in, percentage of your I'm in all Clinton? three counties all week. So, so you're that far out every day? Yeah, yeah. I mean, because I, you know, I've, when I did the business initially, it was, Okay, yeah, I got a lot in Clinton County, but I'm like, you know, when I was trying to think about how I want to do this, I didn't want to limit myself, but I also didn't want to go, oh, I cover the entire state. Yes, I'm a New York State inspector, and I also hold Vermont license as well, but I put my limitations of saying I'm willing to cover three counties, and those repeat clients that I see over the years, if they ask me to go further than that, than the three-county coverage, absolutely. But in most cases, um, I'm probably hitting all three counties every single week steadily because, you know, we have, like you said, I probably work with 150 to 200 different realtors and each one has their own requirements and needs. And I might have five in Essex that asked me to go out that way. And, and the same thing for like Placid. How many agents go to inspections? So I only have a few offices. Uh, there's a couple that always require their agents to be present. Like in Clinton County? Yeah. Okay. Um I will say in a week's time, I probably have three agents that show up in an inspection out of 10. Okay. And this counts Franklin Essex. And, yeah. Um, the, so this is the, the funny thing. So last, last week, um, I went out to visit a friend of mine out in St. Lawrence and super, super nice guy, realtor. So I go out and meet with him and I'm just, we spent the day out there. Me and a, another friend went out there and, uh, so 
he goes, let's go check this house out. I get the buyer and seller and I have to like, my only thing today is I got to open the door for an inspector. So I don't think he really had to open the door. He might've had to open the door, but we got there and he had both clients and the inspector was already there and the both clients were there. So we went in and we're talking with the sellers, super nice people did an absolutely awesome job in this house because they kind of were redoing it. And, uh, we were kind of joking around and I'm like this, I've actually been to more home inspections in Franklin County than I have in Clinton <laughs> County. So I never go to inspections. I, so I want to hear your opinion on it. Number, I always tell my philosophy with both agent and with client, um, out of, out of the, say you do 10 to 12 a week, how many clients go to the entire inspection? So that has been something that's really different. I mean, with COVID, mm-hmm. it's changed the game. Well, let me, let me go prior to COVID. So prior to COVID, um, I would say 7 out of 10 would show. For the entire inspection? Yeah. Okay. All right. So I would, I would get, you know, the majority of people want to be there from front to the end. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, I, you know, the others would be they showing up the last 15 minutes. They just want to chat at the end. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we got to COVID, and then obviously there was some serious limitations and restrictions we had. So a lot of that was I do the inspection solo. The realtor's not there. The homeowner's not there. It's just me in this person's home. And, you know, I do my stuff. And then when I'm done, I'm contacting the, the buyer and, and doing a conference call with them going over. And, and because of that, I've seen more of that take place these days. So they're confident. They've looked at my reviews online. They've gotten feedback from the agents involved saying, no, this is a solid inspector. You can trust him. You don't need to be there. He's going to give you a solid data. He's going to give you a great report. He's going to give you a conference call at the end, and he's going to talk about you know, the highlights of the inspection and really give you the basic information going forward so when you get the report, it all makes sense. So I've always looked at – I don't go to home inspections, one, because it's three hours, and I'm too busy <laughs> to go out for three hours. It's, it's like drive time. It's a lot for realtor. What do you have to gain to be there for three hours? So, you don't need all that information. So that's my, that's my thought is if I look at – if I was there start to finish – or if I'm not there start to finish, it does not affect the report. You're not going to – no matter what I say, you're going to mark it down. You're not going to change what you write down. So one, I have no effect over that. Number two is if something comes up in the home inspection, I don't really care what it is at the end of the day because I'm not buying the house. If my client cares, then it becomes an issue. I tell the client two things. I say, one, don't go for the whole time. I said, let the guy do his job. It's boring. I, t- I kind of downplay I'm like, it's boring. It is. I mean, you're just going around checking stuff. Um, I said, you're probably just gonna be sitting, walking around the house and just like either small talking to you, slowing you up and, or you're just gonna be bored just sitting around. You've got kids gonna be bored. I'm like, just come go to the last yes. like, 15 minutes. You're not going to affect the report. Nothing's going to change. Scott knows what he's doing. And if there's an issue, Scott will go over that issue. You don't have to go through every single you're thing not and gonna say, miss good, 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 good. You're right. going to go through and say here, here, here. And you're going to be able to drive them right to that spot. And at the end of the day, that's all they want to know anyways. There are some clients who scrutinize and they do want to be there and, and they're paying for that service and I have to yeah. obviously honor that feedback to them. But this morning's inspection before I came here was that client who said, okay, you clearly have this. I don't need to be in your way. I'm going to let you do your thing. I'm going to come back in two hours and we can catch up at the end. Is that okay? And I'm like, absolutely. Yeah. Why? They don't need me to see me check every window and open every door and close every door and check every outlet and turn the water on and turn the water off and fly. That is monotonous to them. I mean, it's, it could not get more dull. Mm-hmm. You know, to an inspector, 
it's our job. It's we're just running the motions. We're doing what we're supposed to do to make sure things are working properly. So we have a system, a format, a, a process that we do, and we're following that routinely. And we don't miss a beat. If you're good at what you do, you don't miss a beat. But when there are clients there and there's agents there and the homeowners are there, there are distractions. And people don't realize that you have a routine and you want to follow something. And you're trying to typically, in most cases, you're trying to follow in the order that the inspection report goes Mm -hmm. and the process goes so that your photo documentation follows that timeline. Your information follows that and you stay that regiment so that you don't miss anything. What? Sorry, I would find that if you're doing that, number one, if somebody interrupts you. Or get or or want you to go back. All of a sudden, you lose your train of thought. More things could be skipped. Yes. If because, like me personally, like if I was a home inspector, I would want to show up. I would. I mean, this is me. I'd put some music on. I would go through. I would do my <laughs> thing. I would get done, and I take my time. I can look at stuff, and I don't feel like I'm like being watched. Yeah. And then it's like, hey, come here. I'll give you everything. Yeah. Because it's not going to change you. Them watching you or them not watching you is not going to change what you do. You're ethical. You but have when your they stuff. interrupt. And they're like, oh, I want to show you this. Come over here and look at that. And, oh, I want to show you this. Breaks the routine and drags it out. They break the routine, but then you miss that photo opportunity. Maybe the clients are in the bedroom or in that utility room, and, and you kept wanting to take the photo, but they're there, and you don't want to be rude. So you're you're checking other outlets, or you're doing something. You forget to take it. And yeah. you've never gotten a chance to take that photo. And now it comes report time. You have nothing to document that. Yeah. I, I just You only have your notes, and you're going, wow. I, I just look at real estate's a funky industry because I find it's like – it's one of those industries like would I always at like wonder if people like do you go to your accountant or your finance guy or your doctor and tell them how to do your job? Yep, I would hope not. I've never done that. I my thing like like my finance guy. I'm like I trust you. What is that? What would you do? Yeah. This do it. Like, but there are clients who do that. I mean, the it's surprising that may seem you may have the homeowner who has no idea about building industry at all. And yet they're telling you things that you need to document on the report. Yeah. And you have to very politely say, kindness, yep. listen, thank you so much. I appreciate your feedback. I'll, I'll you know, make note of that. Let me do my job. Let me look at things thoroughly. Let me run the inspection and the process and the testing and checking mm-hmm. of things. And I'll report back accordingly because this is what I do. This is my, spe- I am your house doctor. And if you don't let me diagnose the house correctly, I can't tell you the condition or how the house is doing right now. Well, it's uh, cause I get that in real estate. It's like, I don't know how many homes I've done over the last 11 years. It's quite a bit. Like I, I know what I'm doing and it's the people that will tell you, well, I think you should do this or you should do this or can you do this or I want you to do this. And I'm like, okay. And you know, some of them it's like, well, one, I've already done it or two. No, you don't want to do it that way. Or because a lot of times there are people that have no experience and they're just telling you stuff that they might have saw on HGTV or something their friend said or something mom and dad said or their uncle said. And it's like they're wrong. Like and and you got to try to be polite about it. But it's like, guys, no, no offense. There's nobody that, you know, unless they are hardcore in real estate every single day that knows more about real estate than me. Same thing. If you're not a home inspector every single day, don't question Scott because you have no bad. You have no I mean, there's nothing that. Even me that's in the field, I would not question you and say, I think, Scott, you did the wrong thing. I would never do that because like at the end of the day, it's like, no, that's what you do every single day. It's not my job. I'm, I would say I'm more versed in it than certain people as you're more versed in real estate than certain people. But at the end of the day, it's like when they, I, I get such a pet peeve when clients are telling you what to do. I'm like, you almost want to say like, 
what what do you do for a profession? Do you want me to go to your job and tell you how to do your job and basically micromanage your job as someone that's not in the field? And I won't if, say that I don't think that. Yeah, but, you, you never say it to a client, but right. it's like it's all head, about it's like, how do you respond to that appropriately without offending somebody, and and you take it with a grain of salt, and and like they're just a nervous buyer. They're they're, mm-hmm. they're making a big investment to them. It might only be sixty thousand dollars, but it's the only sixty thousand dollars they have. Yeah. So to them, it's the largest investment, and you just have to be careful with that. But I've done nearly 3,000 building inspections, Mm -hmm. and you know what? There's never a day that goes by that I don't get surprised with something new or something that just throws a little curveball and going, well, that's the first time I've seen that. Yeah, You think you've done a lot. You think you know a lot, and there's always a surprise. And you you go to a cool seminar or a webinar, and you learn something new. You're going, wow. I didn't know that, you know, and, and people have this expectation that you know everything. And yet you may have a, like you said, a general knowledge of a lot of things, but there's always those little weak areas that you need more improvement on. Yeah. And I, so I like learning about stuff same way. But the other thing I found too, is even, even in like 10 or 11 years, you, you find even ways to say certain things or analogies of certain things, or I find that, or, or examples you can use to showcase something that you didn't know before but like that's the yeah that's the perfect way to describe this that it's easy for someone that's not in the industry to understand and i find that i'm constantly i'm constantly learning that kind of stuff and that's like real estate generally real estate buying and selling real estate i i kind of have that like i mean it's just one it's the same stuff at the end of the day i can basically track every problem (laughs) down to a solution and the actual real estate is very simple for me. The the things that add the curve, well, the things is all the nuances that you learn. And the nuances a lot of times is just that. Like maybe a way that you could describe it. It's not going to change the way yeah. that it is. And I find that the other thing with real estate is the human element where most it most I say issues, but most things in real estate are very straightforward linear. It's very easy. There's some stuff, but when you start adding in people, and you start relying on people or you start having different tolerances of people or different emotions of people or personalities, then you start looking at real estate, then becomes very complex. Where if you strip real estate down at the end of the day, my job, your job, very simple. And then you start adding in all the psychology aspect of real estate where I always, you know, I really think I have like a master's PhD in, in psychology. <laughs> and I'm sure you agree the same is because you're dealing with people that are, that are big, a big decision, but I have some clients that are just like, you have to... Yeah, you have to hold their hand every single time. Um, or you're about, go ahead. I, I, I got you. We don't stop this guy. This is, <laughs> we just roll. If you, hey, if you want, you can grab one too. Oh, okay. Um, Scott's going to do an inspection of our bathroom real quick. So, um, the, but what I was saying is if you get people that are, um, people can be nervous. I get it. It's a, it's a big you know, investment. But I really think if you're dealing with real estate, if you're dealing with inspections, if you're dealing with your bank, if you're dealing with your attorney, you have to pick people that you trust and just let them do their job. And this is again with anything, my finance person, I, I he'll he'll bring he'll bring some stuff up to me, and I just say, listen, I trust you. What would you do? Run with it. And I, I try to. That's my approach. And I know some people like to micromanage things. I just not. I I just try to pick people I trust, let them do their job, knowing that they're gonna. I don't want to get in their way. Just let them. Let them kind of showcase what they can do and succeed. Real estate, the absolute best people and situations I've worked with. So these are the people that put their full trust. I love the person that comes up to me and says, "I have no clue where to start. I don't know what to do. 
I need you to basically just show me the way. Guess what? That person I know is is on a fast track to success and on a fast track to a very good outcome with the sale of their home or purchasing a home because they're allowing us to do our job. It's the people that, um, you know, I'd say over. I want to say overstep their boundaries, but you know, there's one thing you can ask questions. I love questions. I love explaining stuff. I love talking people so they're they're comfortable. What I don't want is people to, you know pick apart what I'm doing and then tell me to do it a certain way or not to do it a certain way because they deem that they think that's the best route. And I think realistically at the end of the day, you have to put the trust in the professional and allow, basically, and I was just saying, if somebody, if somebody came up to me and said, I have no clue where to begin. I don't know what the first steps are. Just, can you tell me what I need to do? Those always are the best clients because I know at the end of the day, if they're selling, they will have the absolute best offer. They will have the best terms. They will have the most smoothest transaction, at least that we can handle. Obviously, certain things are up to chance, but the same thing with the buyer. Just let us do our job and you will be totally fine. It's the ones where you tell them stuff and then they get in the way and get in the way. And I'm like, and again, you say, you say it respectfully, but you're hiring me to do the job. You hired me for some reason. Do you think, obviously, because you think I'm good. Just let me do my job. And it's not to be disrespectful to the seller or the buyer. It's just, I know you're getting in your own way. And at the end of the day, I can... I can sugarcoat it. I can I can handle you with kid gloves and I can make this a very soft blow to you so it's not like in your face and I'm just going to let you down easy. But I know at the end of the day, I'm wasting time. I'm wasting energy. I'm wasting your money. I'm wasting everything because you're you're getting in the way of your own success where it's like, hey, just take a step back. Just put your trust in me. If you put your trust in me, you will be fine. And God, 99 times out of 100, people that come in say, put your trust in, usually work out very good. And the people that come in, I'd say 99 times out of 100, if they're kind of those over hands-on people, you are not getting the best best outcome that you could be getting. And I've seen both sides. I've seen the side with the buyer who is, you know, uh, over-inquisitive, we'll say. Uh, They want... You know, did you look at this? Did you? Well, you were looking at that. Did you? Why didn't you look at this? And listen, and, you, and like you said, you have to be polite, but you have to, you have to say that moment. Listen, we're going to run through things. We're going to check things out. We're going to test things. Although you may not think I'm looking at this, you have to understand. I do this every single day. So the minute I walked down this basement, my eyes were all over the place, looking at everything and anything. The minute I started coming down those stairs, it's like. Picture this. You're driving home from a long day on the back roads. What are you doing this time of year? You're looking out for deer. Mm-hmm. You're the driver. Your eyes, you're looking way ahead. You're looking close up. You're always on the scout as a driver, right? Because you're trying to avoid any potential accident. I'm the inspector. I'm driving through your home. I'm looking at anything that may potentially be harmful. You have to give me the benefit of the doubt. I'm doing my job and I'm doing it thoroughly. Although you may not think I'm looking at something or maybe I've overlooked it that you may think. I've actually already covered it twice, you know, and then I get the, the the sellers that are present during the inspection and there's a lot of anxiety. You know, we encourage people not to be in inspections for certain reasons. We don't want them to be upset. We don't want them to get nervous about what we're finding. We're not there to discredit their home or to upset them or cost them money. The idea is we're working for a client. We're doing a job. We're, we're, being paid to do a service and we're trying to do it very thoroughly so when the homeowners are you know making your job difficult or stalling the process or why are you looking at this or why are you looking at that why are you testing that outlet you just tested four others 
Right. But in a panel box, we have more than one breaker because we have more than one circuit. We have to test multiple circuits to make sure everything's working correctly because we have many people working in the home when we're building the process, right? I mean, we have different electricians. We might have journeymen. We might have apprentices. We might have some subcontractors. So the idea is we have to check as much as possible to make sure everything's functional. And when, when the, either the clientele, the buyer, or the seller get in the way and inhibit that process, the only person paying for that, unfortunately, is the party that's actually hired you because we're not doing what we should be doing. We're being, you know, we're being interrupted or being distracted or we're being prevented from doing our job thoroughly. It's kind of like, you know, when you get really good at a certain thing, let's say home, I mean, home inspection, perfect real estate, like you're, you've seen so much, your mind is so trained that realistically 90% of the stuff doesn't matter. So like, you, and same thing, like if I go through a listing and, and, and God bless the people, but they're like, opening the closet and be like, oh, look at the closet here. And I'm like, okay, it's, it's a linen closet or it's a bedroom closet. Like it's not a walk-in. It's not anything like a mat, a large walk-in closet. Cool. An open closet where it's just kind of the basic standards. Like, okay, thank you. Like for the people that open up every door and I get it, they want it, but I'm realistically going through and I know what's going to sell your property. I know the main points. I know at a very quick glance, I can go through someone's house in, in a couple minutes tops be able to comp out the property, know where you should list it. And I mean, it doesn't, but I allow people to walk through and talk to me about it. But it's like, at, at the end of the day, you can really go through and I'm going to catch probably 99% of everything I need to know. And you might add a slight 1%, but at the end of the day, it's like, we're so trained. And I know at the end of the day, what really sells your property. Because I have people all the time, well, if I do this, I do that. And I, I'm like, you can, but I don't want you to spend a ton of money to list your property because I'm telling you right now, these Where's are the value? points yeah. and these are going to be your down points. So let's just take care of, let's really focus on our main aspects here, double down on our strengths, try to, try to, uh, you know, hedge against the weaknesses. But at the end of the day, not everything is going to matter to you as a seller. Same thing with the home inspection. If somebody's like, well, it, it, there's like a small crack here on the, uh, like walking down the basement, you're like, yeah, that's fine. It's just a settlement crack. And like, you're going through, but it's not. You're like, that's not a big issue. It's but, a superficial, right? Yeah, it's, but, this it, is not going to affect the structural integrity. Yeah, but then someone says it. Now you got to take the time to explain it where it's like, just let Scott go down. And anything he's bypassing, like you said, I have a, you have a trained eye. You know what you're looking for and what really matters. And you're seeing that stuff. It's just you're registering as like, nah, nah, like not good. Not exactly. Good. Okay, boom, boom, boom. Exactly. In your mind, you're going red, yellow, green, yeah. red, yellow, yeah, green, exactly. red, yellow, green. You know, because keep going. Okay, minor, 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 yeah. documenting it. Oh, red flag. Okay, let's dig a little further. You know, I'll give you an example. About two months ago, I did one uh, for a gentleman. He had an individual who was looking at buying a piece of property for investment, and they didn't necessarily want the full inspection process, but it was like they're doing a particular type of loan. So this is something, you know, people may not know, but as an FHA, USDA, and and, uh, VA compliant inspector, Mm -hmm. You understand the needs of those loans and, and the requirements of the lenders on those loans. So what are going to be showstoppers? So to you and I, the average home inspection where that foundation crack may not be an issue or the deck that's weathered looking is not an issue, on those particular loans or the peeling paint, that may be an issue. That's going to be something that's going to have to be taken care of as part of the process. You know, so it was, hey, listen, they're doing, he's doing an FHA loan. What's going to be the showstoppers? We didn't do a full-on inspection report. It was literally a walk around in 30 minutes. In 30 minutes, it was, 
all right, you got, you know, three broken windows, you got some drywall damage here, you got some missing floor here, you got some side nest damage, some flashing issues, you got a couple issues with the chimney, the front porch needs supports, the foundation's got two large cracks, we've got some water intrusion that's causing a bulge in the foundation wall. In a very short window, we determine that this is not going to fit this individual. We're not trying to waste a bunch of time. We don't need to get the appraisal. We don't need to put the offer in. We're looking, he's doing this type. Does this even fit his profile? You know, so every inspection is different to some degree and it fits every different application. Do you have a lot of people that are just like, hey, Scott, I want to meet with you, walk you through the house. Let's go through in about 40 minutes to an hour and just check the major things. I get about four of those a month right now where people, they don't want the big package they don't want super in death is like because you're right galen the main components are what's the water intrusion like what's the drainage like outside mm-hmm. okay is because water is number one damage all right so what's that like and then is the building envelope okay great next step foundation great electrical plumbing heating all good then so what you got a ding in the drywall you got some loose tape you got a bedroom door that the hinges are coming apart those are cosmetics the molding missing missing the other room cosmetic we're looking for things that are real value that things that are going to be either a danger for health and safety mm-hmm. or a very large repair issue if there's mold in the basement because something's done incorrectly we have a water issue we have moisture issue that's what we're looking for so when you look at the major components of things that can be costly it's really only a few large things that we're looking at the rest is just like you said checking the box going yep drywall's good doors are good this is good that it's, there's only a few major components we're looking at. The rest is, is just part of the process. Yeah, and I think, uh, I mean, that, that's how I, I, like I said, I'm just like straight to the point. I'm like, I don't want to waste time. Let's just go, like Scott, go boom, 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 hit it up, let's let's move on. Um, the other question I want to ask you, um, you and I are both, kind of want to talk about like networking and stuff like that. So you and I are in a morning group. It was this morning. Um, Neither of us went this morning, which is totally fine. We both had stuff going on, <laughs> yeah, but right. but normally each week we're, we're meeting with people and, and seeing people. And uh, um, how is how has like relationships? How have networking? How has like how has that affected your business? Has that always been natural? Was that something that was finally like an aha? Like I got to get out and start being a little bit more involved. Ten years ago, yeah. Ten years ago, I was like, <clears throat> because when you start off, like you do, you're trying to, I don't know buddy up with a few realtors to kind of like get them to know you to start using you and then okay you're doing a great job and and more people are using you but there's no relationship there's no you just don't have connection with people where you're the go-to guy or you're the guy with the book of knowledge or you have the resources or the skill you're not you're not creating those relationships to really have people interact more often so about 10 years ago i got invited to a bni meeting and I went, I'm like, oh, I love this. I have all these people that my clients need. Not me, mm-hmm. just resources for my clients, people that I can count on, people I can interact with. And that was my first interpretation. After doing that and, and being in it now for over 10 years in those networking groups and, and joining other networks and going to seminars, you learn that you've, been create, you've created this valuable resource for you, for people that you can call upon for a second opinion on something that you're stuck on. You can call on people for advice on things that you may not be doing correctly, but you also have a wide array of sources for your, for your clientele to say, listen, 
I can help you out because I know these people who know these people that can get you in the right direction or provide you some assistance with what you need. But it was something that I, I really dropped the ball on, not realizing going into the business going, I need that. And when I did, it was a game changer because, uh, you don't realize that when you're doing, you know, the inspection is like such a, a, a solo field, you know, mm -hmm. it's just you, just the inspector. It's not like you got a team of people you're walking in the house with and, you know, one of your employees is doing the electrical the and one's doing the, the rooftop. No, your, your office is the field. Everybody's home becomes your office for that morning or afternoon, you know, so you're working out of the back of your truck or whatever. And, you know, those resources that you have and the communications you have and, and talking and getting to know realtors and the coordinators and the people involved and the lenders, it's a big circle and a big family that really brings it all together to make everybody happy so that you have to know that the lender has a relationship with you so that they can trust you. When you give a documentation and it comes in front of them or they need an additional service, they know that you provide that and that the one you're going to provide is going to meet their requirements. Yeah, when I – so – I would say would I would say I really started to step out probably around 2000, maybe 16 into 17 was when I really started to kind of dive into some stuff. And uh, yeah, I'd say 2016, so maybe five years ago. So I went my first five years, and the thing with real estate, there's 150 agents. And I remember um, thinking 10 years ago, I'm like, okay, how, how do I become the number one agent? And I remember thinking... I, what can I do to separate myself or what can I do to make sure that more people want to use me than anybody else? I think and as professionals, we've all been in that position of how do we up our game? How do we? Yeah. And I, I remember as a kid, um, cause 21 when I started, I was like, man, I'm looking up and I'm seeing these people with like 50 something deals in a year. And I'm like, how are they doing a deal every <laughs> right? week? I'm like, that's insane. Like yeah. how that's impossible. And I was doing like my first year I did three, my second year I did six. I'm like, this is impossible. How are they doing 50 something deals? Well, then you start realizing it's like these people have been around. They know people. They, those people know people. And it wasn't until about, say, six, five, eh, let's call it six years ago, that I started to dive into social media. And about five years ago, I started to dive into the networking. And again, people do business who they know, like, and trust. Well, back then, nobody knew me. Not that they didn't like me. Not that they didn't trust me. They just didn't know me. That was step one. So they do now. Yeah. So that's the thing. Like I had to, I had to like step out of my. I had, okay. I'm like I gotta go start going to events. I gotta start putting stuff out on social media and kind of make, not saying use me, but put stuff on social media saying here is like I want you just to know me. And it wasn't. I never put anything out on social media saying, hey, uh, call me up. I'm the best realtor out there. You should use me. No, I've never said that. And I. And I I have a self-belief I am, but at the end of the day, that's a very subjective comment. Well, I think we all should believe in ourselves to some degree because what are we doing if we don't? Yeah, and that, and that that is the only thing I have. Like me saying I'm the best, well, who's saying that? Like if I say about myself, it means nothing. So my thing was I just wanted to go out and say, hey, I'm going to put out my knowledge. I'm going to put out my personality. I'm going to put out my whatever you whatever I can put out that's me. And it's so you want to know me. And then hopefully you like me. And then if you like me, then those are the people you start to whittle down to that like sphere networking group of like your people. There's people that know me that don't like me. I don't care. I mean, I just want the people that know and like me. And then the people that know like me eventually get to the point where they really know you. And they're like, you know what? I trust Galen. He's going to do a good job. That is what I've been working at for the last five or six years. My sphere has grown from 
a very, very small chunk to, I would say, more people than I could count. And a lot of it, and it's great. And I've met some really good people the last handful of years. I met you in the last five years. I've met, which is crazy because I've been doing it for, you know, we've been each, you know. I don't think my spear is quite as big as yours, but, you know. Well, I see a lot of people. We discussed a while back about, you know, with the change in technology and everything like that. And not because I didn't want to, Mm -hmm. because I didn't make the effort to or really knew exactly where I wanted to go or how I wanted to do it. Using that social media to really help me out and kind of be the catalyst to put me a little further ahead but yeah i've got a good spear of a lot of people and like you said there are some people that may not be fond of me i'm not out there listen i'm not out there to be buddy buddy with anybody you're right trust that's all i want them to do Mm -hmm. if nothing else i want the realtors the lenders the buyers the sellers to understand one thing i'm here to provide a service and then be honest forthright and do a very thorough job on your behalf and, and, and it reflects on me as a character, on my family name, on my business name, and, and for other people to come. We don't want to give a bad image for the reputation of, of inspectors as general. So I try to really raise that bar and saying, listen, inspectors are not a fly-by-night guy. They are people who take everything very serious. They do a lot of training. They have a lot of special equipment. They try to do right by everybody, and they're trying to do a good job because you're putting a lot of faith and trust in what they do in that very small time frame. And having that sphere of people that trust you and, and recognize that whether you're the best or as good as best can be in the area of competition, that's what we're looking for. That's all I'm looking for is people know that I'm always on my game. I, I don't drop the ball. I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing, and if I don't know something – I will go to the end of the earth to find the answer to make sure that you are informed correctly. Well, yeah, and that's what I, I look at. And that's why I try to, it's one, what I look at and what I try to put out to people is number one, I want, I want to be ethically good where people can trust me. We're like, this guy's not a sketch artist. He's right. not a scumbag. He's yeah. going to shoot you straight. He's going to be on, if he doesn't know it, he will tell you he doesn't know it or look up the answer or whatever. That's number one. Number two is I want, I always like to align with people that are, um, you know, they're trustworthy, but they also work hard. They're not lazy. They communicate well with you. They get back on time with you. They want to get better. Like if somebody's just like kind of coasting, that's not my, I'm always trying to get better. And I find that my friends lately, I've, I've really gotten to the point where I'm like, these are people that every day are striving to be better at whatever they do. We're trying to do more than just like, like I want to do more than just do a transaction of a buying and selling of a home. And that's what I'm trying to build the company around is that like local matters and trying to build a team and trying to like really build an organization that's more than just a transaction. And then the other one is I just want someone that's fun, like a good person. And I find that I want, I try to be fun. I try to be trustworthy and I try to work hard and show people that I'm constantly trying to get better. And that is, if my intent is good on all of those, then that's, I deem that's good to me. And if people like that, then the right people come into my life and I align with the right people. And again, I'm not trying to make friends with everybody. Not that I don't want to be friends with everybody, but I'm realistic saying you can't please everybody. And I'm like, you know what? I'm going to stick true to myself and I'm going to put myself out there the way that I want to or the way that's authentic to me. And then from there, you build, like, you build a good group around you. And I find that the last five years of me doing that, the group around me is fun people. Like it, it's good people. It's fun people. It's people that I'm like, you know what? I like them. I trust them. And the benefit is if I have an issue, I can pick up the phone and say, and we've done this before. We've talked, we've played yeah. plenty of times. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I shouldn't say I, we don't talk. It's just like a lot of times if we, sometimes we don't talk. We don't see well, look at the house I was in. I'm like, Hey, did you know that the water faucet and the, and the garage is leaking and it's got water over the floor? And you know, yeah. it was me just reaching out to you. 
I wasn't even there for that. I was there for a water sample from that day. But remember, I had walked in the garage and, yeah. and it was leaking. And I said, hey, you didn't know what's going on. Yeah. So and- I shut the, off the water supply so that someone could fix it. That was my responsibility or my obligation. But it was about you and I communicating so that the homeowner was aware that they had an issue. Well, it's, it's even – well, it's that. It's like I can pick up the phone and say – Scott, I got a question. And a lot of times I ask you, it's not even stuff on our job. It's just questions like, hey, I got to, can you give me information on this? Or, hey, I'm a little confused on this. Or can you clear this up for me? And a lot of it is I have the confidence to pick it up. And I have the trust in you to pick the phone up and call you and say, or meet with you and say, listen, this, this was something that came up. Or I have a question on this and I can ask you and know I'm getting a legitimate source. Same thing with my accountant. Same thing with my finance. Same thing with guys I use for lending. Same thing, thing I use for... I mean, this could be anything. Like, I mean, and I encourage anybody to do that. I mean, we yeah. should, we all as professionals should have that. You have a team around you. Right. Like, we should have that team that we can just poke out a call. And, and if they're not busy and they can grab the phone, great. Because they're our go-to. They're the people that we trust that's going to have the answer we're looking for. It may not be the one we want. Mm-hmm. But the idea is it's going to be an honest response. And that's really, like you said, that authentic character is everything. And I think, I mean, my opinion of myself, I like to think that I have a lot of likability with my clients. I'm very good. I've always believed I've had that character that when I'm working with buyers or sellers, that I have a very good personality working with them throughout the process. And they're content with that service because I don't want them to think that, oh, the inspector is here today. You know, I don't want this stress factor. I, I want them to know that I'm there for a very good reason and I'm there representing anybody in the best way possible. And how you deliver that is a game changer. You know what I mean? And and you and I have talked about this more than once about you can be good at a lot of things, but if you're missing a couple of crucial steps or if you're not willing to grow or not willing to make those changes and you're just coasting along, then you're just making the grade. And and that's not where I'm at. I mean, if nothing else, in the last few years, I've had that insight of going, geez, I almost feel like I'm doing that. I don't think I am, but I certainly almost feel like that. I've got to fix this and and really turn the road here and, and straighten the path up so that I feel like I'm really succeeding above the others. I want to be the staple in the community who people say, this guy's doing it right. This guy's doing it the right way, the honest way, and the only way. Well, it's, it's like... When I think about my job, like one of my, I don't say it's a fear, but something I'm always kind of nervous about is like our business is very much, I want to say front end loaded when it comes to clients, whether I'm showing property, whether I'm listing property, a lot of my expertise and knowledge is the prep work and the initial stuff. And then like, again, most of my main job at that point is done. I mean, in all intents and purposes, right. it really is. It's like, if I'm going to show a property, it's educating you on the process. It's showing you the property. It's negotiating an offer, getting everything, um, you know, terms accept, everything signed, everything off to the then the third parties that need to do their job. Right. And then realistically, I can kind of like step away a little bit unless things happen to come up that are issues. Um, same thing with listing. You do all the prep work up front. You, you do, you're knowledgeable. You give them all the information. You tell them how it's going to work. You do all the steps to make sure it's done thoroughly. Then it's listed. You know, then we kind of like communicate with, um, you know, feedback and stuff and with, with offers. Then once it's listed again, we hand it off. So I always get nervous that there's sometimes like contract to close. I only talk with like, I personally talk with the clients only a couple times. And it's not that I don't want to talk to them. It's not, but like 
I know majority of the stuff that's going on that I need to know. My thing is I put a lot of trust in Nicole. I put a lot of trust in Nick that helps me out. And the thing is I, I tell clients, I can do it. I don't want to. It, it's and the same thing with attorneys, same thing with lenders, same thing with inspection. Thing, it's like I can be way more hands on, but a couple, couple things. One, I'm micromanaging. Two, I'm trusting people like, you know, your stuff way better than I'm going to know inspections. Lenders are going to know lending way better than I'm going to know. You know, Nicole knows closings way better than I do. I can do it. But at the end of the day, I'm like, I'm going to, I'm literally going to have someone devoted to that position. Yeah. And She's really good at it. If you have and, the right team set up to do all those jobs responsibly and they're trained well, mm-hmm. that just to me allows you to really focus on what you do best. And that is, you know, providing buyers and sellers with the opportunity to purchase or sell a home. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I look at, I look at my job though. It's like the, really, if you took all the tasks that I do in a day, it's very front and loaded. Meaning the closing process, unless I'm negotiating some minor stuff, there's not a whole lot <laughs> right? that I'm going to affect from contract to close. Yeah. And people, the perception is people might think that because then you get like the calls or you get people like, I haven't heard from Gail. And it's like, well, you've heard from Nicole, which is an extension of me on the closing end. And she's way more versed in all that stuff yeah. than I am. I know it. I can do it. But at the end of the day, she, if I, you know, it's kind of the same thing. Like if I spend X amount of hours doing it, she spent 10 X amount of hours or more doing that she's much more equipped to see more stuff than I have. Like you want to have her judgment. I can step in on a lot of stuff, but like I try to be, I try again, I try to align myself with really good people, put my trust that they're going to do their job and don't like, I hate micromanaging people. Well, I mean, let's be real. If you took your car to the shop and you bring it to, and and you go to the parts manager or the service manager, you're setting up your appointment. That's it. You drop your car off. He arranges to get in the shop. The technicians do all the job. Mm-hmm. The guy does whatever he's got to do. And then you get a tight rotation and that guy does his job. Everybody has their role that they play. You don't need the the, the service coordinator to contact you with every step of the process. Mm-hmm. No, he's handing off that responsibility to each person to do their thing. And you guys are doing that same thing in the real estate. I think that the agents that have a team like you have that's diverse and trained and set in what they're doing really does... You're not micromanaging. Everybody has an obligation and a responsibility, and those steps are taken. And everybody that does it, just like a building inspector, has the training to make that more efficient, more effective. Well, I think the and the, you know when you uh, so when I got into real estate, I like you don't really know the industry. You start to learn your job, but you don't really understand the full impact of the industry until years and years later. So you've gotten to the point now where you just start to see inefficiencies in in my profession and in other professions too. And you kind of look at like, why is it done that way? And if the answer is it's just done that way because we've always done it, then that's a really poor answer because a lot of it is like, I, you can do it a certain way, but things, times evolve, things evolve, technology evolves. And Absolutely. I said, and I'm not sitting there, I don't want to change something like, it's kind of like, we don't want to reinvent not, the wheel. Not, yeah, don't reinvent the wheel. It's not, if it's not, was it not broke, don't fix it kind of thing. But at a certain point, it's like, you may not have to fix it, but there's a really better, cool wheel that's way more efficient. Let's put that on the on the car. And I think I find that a lot of our things in our industry, it's like, I always look at other offices. I'm like, why? How come you don't have someone handling all the closings? So your agents all just do it. And it said, you have no central command. You have no central structure. Everything's just kind of done by each person responsible to do everything, which to me is super inefficient. And I think it's almost less hand, 
more hands off than what I would be doing when you put all your trust in one person because then you have at least some cohesiveness that's the same. You know everything's replicated the same on every deal, not this agent's really good from that office, but that one's not, or this one's really responsive, but that one's not. Right. But I think it's because real estate, they've always done it that way. Yeah. So I find that us doing it the way we do, it almost seems like an outlier, but I'm like, it's just more efficient. And until more offices really jump on and say, you know what? That does make more sense. Um, maybe I'm wrong. I just, I have not found a well, more efficient way. Well, it's kind of like going into the day where, you know, oh, you got to drive all the way to their office to get a set of keys to go back to the house to do the inspection to bring the keys if back. If I pick up keys in an office, I, you want to talk about being irate? I can't Why stand can it. we not have a lockbox? Why do we have a digital code? But from an inspector's point of view, okay, we should have the application to go in and scan that, I, that digital lockbox to open it up on basis. Mm-hmm. You know, but like you said, really? We don't have to reinvent the wheel. But can we make this drive a little bit smoother like if- the inspections? The biggest challenge I've always faced was driving all the way back to the office to do a report or, or settling down in an office in town and, and having a second location that I can drop a laptop app and, and download everything. No. No. How do we change that? You know, we, you and I have discussed this. You're stoked about it. I'm stoked about it. Mobile software, mobile tablets, a workstation and the vehicles. Mm-hmm. You know, the idea is to really up this game and, and make this a little bit more of a... Uh, of a really streamlined business that's not only thorough and in depth, but super efficient where we're able to take this mobile software with state-of-the-art technology with these cool rugged notebooks that are waterproof, weatherproof, that fit the climate. We're in basements, we're in the attics, we're out in the rain. You can't use the, the phone or the iPad. We're talking about serious equipment here that's a game changer that's still gonna do a fantastic job during the inspection getting it done, reviewing the process from the company vehicle and sending that information off to the client within 30 minutes of completing the inspection. That to me is really thinking outside the box and really giving nobody else is doing it. Why isn't everybody doing it? Mm-hmm. This, this is what another inspector told me. I don't know why more people aren't doing this and going, well, we're going to, and we're going to change the game. Yeah. And, and, and I think you have to, and, and the, certain agents do it, but I've, I try to be, I'm not trying to look, I'm not trying to be cutting edge. I'm just trying to look at stuff as efficiency. And I'm like, I just want to do it as efficient, efficient as possible. I'm like, I like everybody's busy and I, and I'm like, everybody's busy in their own right. I've just gotten to the point now. I'm like, I got running stuff at the office. I'm doing stuff as an agent. I got a family with three young kids. I'm like, I don't have a lot of time. But if to you waste can time. do, if you can make a change in your business, that's going to, that's going to save you time, four hours a day uh-huh. and you can say, okay. I've saved four hours. I now have two additional hours I can give to a client, and I have two additional hours I can give to my family. That is a win-win. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, absolutely. My, my biggest thing right now is time. So it's like trying to crunch time. It's trying to fit everything in time. It's like and, – and, and the thing is they don't make more time, so you got to become more efficient <laughs> with the time. And, yeah. But like go, go back to like the, the – I hate electronic lockboxes. I don't use them. Yeah. Um, well, because there are issues. I mean you can, well, they just don't – sometimes and, they don't work, right? In you, concept, they work. The idea is they're great. They're electronic. You can only get in if you have a card. We know who's going in now. I said, I don't doubt that. That's fantastic. Problem is, you put one out in Morse Forks and you don't have Bluetooth cell service, it doesn't work. Oh, it works. Yeah, it works. You have Verizon, not AT&T. Like, that's a real issue. The comparable brain. to this would be, to, to the layman's people, the digital thermostat. Yeah. Because the old-fashioned one, the Honeywell from 1930, you turn it up, you turn it back. It works. It works. 
now the new ones, oh, you got a, a 14-day programmable. It's batteries got batteries in it. The batteries are dead. The, you can't program. It's not coming on. Hey, tried and true. The old-fashioned lockbox that you spin the little code and open the box up and you got a set of it, keys. Well, and kind of what I was saying before, like, don't break what's not. Like, I have, <laughs> I have a lockbox. Now, one thing is I use the same lockbox, the same style lockbox. It is large enough to fit multiple keys in. Yes. It's super easy to use. The lock boxes, like we used to have them, and I told my dad. Like, oh my God, those old blue the, ones, the yes. The blue ones, you got to jam the <laughs> oh, key out. I'm like, why? That's really what you went with? And they would stick, and you would, this key would be stuck. Well, and- then you had the other agents that use the lock box, you can't even fit one or two keys yeah, in. Yeah. I'm like, well, get a lock box that works. So I get the big lock box with a, a generic code that you can open up with yep. no service. Yep. It's a code. I give you the code, you get in. And the idea with the the electro- electronic one, I'm like, not it does Bluetooth doesn't always work. There's times I've been there full on service and yeah. the app doesn't work. Nope. Then it's like, oh, you need to update your app. Now we got to send you an email. Well, I can't get the email because there's no service. Or you just show up and that, it won't work. It just, it, it's right. not even opening. It's Every now and then you do get one that's malfunctioning and you enter the code and it's not working. And then you do it again and then you do it again. And all of a sudden you say, you're locked open. out. Now you're locked out for 45 minutes. Yeah. And, and I've, so I've had stuff like that before. Like I've been to a house before with an electronic lockbox and I call the agent like, Hey man, your stupid lockbox doesn't work. Put a normal lockbox on. Like I don't know what to tell you, but it's not working. Or they don't close. I've had you somebody know, try to poke. As an inspector, you know how frustrating it is because, you know, clients there, you're tr- there, times there. You've run into those issues now to the drive board. there. You yep. make sure that you go. Okay, the first thing you're going to do is check the lockbox. Make sure the keys are there. Which I've opened the box and no keys. Yep, done that. You know, or you can't open the box, or the code's not working. Or you've been locked out, and now, okay, so you've got a little bit of time. Now you're still going to do the outside. You've got the rooftop. But in the beginning, when I ran across those digital boxes, I may have already done all the outside. Come to the lockbox, open up, and going, 45 minutes? I budgeted three hours for this inspection, and now I'm 45 minutes behind schedule. Yeah. And, and when you go back to the keys, like the fact that in 2021, we still have to go to offices <laughs> to grab a key yeah. to run out and show your property. And then, oh, by the way, can you have the key back tonight? Cause we have a showing in the morning and you know, the, the put thing a lockbox on your door or yeah. leave the door open or you meet me at the property, open the door right. and lock it up. Because it's like, to me, it's like, I'm not running around looking for a key. Listen, to go I'm a service house. provider. Let's be straight up with this. Do you tell the boiler guy or the chimney guy or the repair guy, whatever it may be, do you tell them that they have to go to your office to get keys? No, you make arrangements so they can go to that house and do what they got to do. As an inspector, we extend, we we believe we should have the same courtesy. We shouldn't have to be running around chasing keys. We've got a job to do. We're providing a service. Yeah, it's just part of the process. Make it easy for everyone. Make it easy for yourself. But homeowners have to realize that we're insured. The right inspector, that is. Mm-hmm. If you're doing your job and you run a legit business, you like myself. $2 million liability, $2 million errors emissions, a $1 million bond. If I walk into someone's home, I have a $1 million for theft. If you have a $1 million or something for me to take, well, then I shouldn't be in your house. I should, you should be my client. And we You're right. <laughs> I mean, you should be my client. Because, I mean, but that's, you know, we're going to yeah. deface our name. That's not what we're there for. But I have coverage to make people feel comfortable that when I'm in their home, if I damage something, if something is misplaced or taken, we're covered. You know, not that I would ever do anything. I mean, I always try to approach someone's home. But you want to do it maliciously. You might have no, a mistake with absolute or something that hits right. yeah. You open an attic scuttle and you get some insulation that falls down and you've upset someone and you apologize. But for the most part, yes. when I'm done, the idea is I don't want the homeowner to even know that we're there. I want everything back in its place exactly how it was. The cupboard's closed. Mm-hmm. The sink's wiped out. 
you know, if we turn water on, I wipe up the counter, I clean it up, you know, whatever I've disturbed, I put back exactly how it was. So when they come home, the only thing they see different is there's a business card on the counter saying, thank you for letting me your home today. Yeah. It's, I, yeah, I just think that, that our industry at times is very archaic. And I think because a lot of, if you really think about the main issues that I have, I have personally with our industry most of the issues I typically find is that a lot of our professions are older in age on an average age. Yeah. Now, not every old agent or old attorney or whatever is like unable to change. It's just the fact that a lot of them won't. But we're at a tipping point where your generation, like I said earlier on in the, in the podcast, was you guys are really thinking outside the box. Now, I'm 51, and, and when I talk to someone like you, I, I do feel older, but you make me feel really young at heart because I'm receptive to that change. You are very well. Yeah. And, you know, and, and, and I'm willing to make those changes because I think it's a good thing. You know, it's like, it's like that kid having the conversation with their dad saying, you should get a smartphone, dad. I got my old flip phone that works fine. And once they finally get trained on like, Oh my God, I can take photos. I can text you. I can FaceTime check the my grandkids. I can, yeah. I can, I can check the what This is awesome. I can, Look up what size tires I need on Sam's Club. Yeah. Great. And you've encouraged them to do that. And once they find out what they can do with that technology, they are nothing short of excited. Well, yeah, and that's that's the way I look at it in real estate. It's like I don't think not every invention is better. I think, you know, I'm not like there are pros pro and cons technology. to everything. Yeah, yeah, like I think if it's more efficient, then it's like why it's like when he uh now now we've been doing it for about five years, so it's not as archaic, but like I remember getting um electronic signatures when they finally rolled that out and i for years i mean yeah. me and my dad had looked into getting electronic and i'll give credit uh century 21 was the first one to start doing this and uh they started using dot loop early on and as soon as i started seeing them use electronic signatures instantly i was like dad we gotta get this so we looked into getting it and i think it was the following year we almost signed up for an electronic signature thing and the following year they now put it as part of the board yeah when they did that, that was a game changer. Now, I still get some client or some agents that will still handwrite it and send me a PDF. <laughs> and this is what I do. If, I, if they handwrite it and send a PDF, yeah. we upload it to Dotloop and share it to them on Dotloop. And it's not to be a prick. It's just like, listen, it's 2021. We're going to do stuff way yeah. more efficient. And eventually, you're going to do it. And it's not that I'm trying to be a mean person here, but I'm like, it's so archaic that you want me to – like, I'll get clients that will cross out – or agents that will cross out contracts, rewrite it, have their person initial, and then send it back to me. Yeah. So I'm like, okay, so let me just go back on the contract, type up the changes so we have a clean contract, and I'll just send it out to everybody to sign. It's clean. There's no cross outs. Everybody signs electronically on their own time. It's all timestamped. We can see it. We can share yep. it in seconds. Hey, got a, I got an addendum. I can text my client and say, listen, sending you an addendum in three minutes. Please send it back. And within five minutes, I have it back, signed back to them. Back can, in the day, I used to do... Oh, you do the inspection report you couldn't like compress this file and send it you had to print it off put it in a folder or a binder drive to the real estate office and drop it in their mailbox oh my god the amount of time spent doing that when the software came available to like okay this is digital software you can do the report and when you're done compress a pdf is email i'm like i'm on it this is why would I want to save you? Why do I want to drive to someone's office to drop off documentation in a mailbox that may be getting rained on tonight? 
or I got to put it in a plastic bag. No, I can email, email it to everybody. Oh, the attorney wants a copy and the parties involved. The, yep. the both. Do, do, do. Yeah. Yep. Eight people want it. Send. It, the same thing with DocuSign, you know, I'm doing a, a renovation project where someone needs to sign all these different papers throughout mm-hmm. the rehab process. I can just send the file over. You need to sign here. Galen needs to sign here. Toby needs to sign here. Everybody does their part. It comes back to me. I have the official signed copy from all parties. Why are we not all doing minutes. that today? It <laughs> it just blows my especially when you got people that like work different shifts. Someone's like, I got, I'm working a double yeah. at the at the at the. Uh, at Clinton, and it's like, okay, that's fine. So I see that they signed it at 11.30 at night when they got off their shift. Totally fine. Guess what? I'll get in the morning. We send it off. Yeah. And But what's crazy is like we're talking about this, and like if people are listening, like, oh, well, yeah, that makes sense. I'm like, five years ago, we didn't have that. Like five years ago, I remember people signing. You would send a contract. They would cross it off, sign it, scan, fax it back was when I first started, which is 10. Again, this is 10 <laughs> years ago, not yeah. a long time. 10 years ago, people were faxing it, and it got to the point where I'm like, Guys, you do know if you fax this more than once, you cannot read it. So then we started to get to only scanning it. And when we started to scan it, then I would get people to cross it off. They'd send it back. And then they would say... Or a scan crooked and the line was yeah. gone. Well, or- then they'd get... Well, can you, just, uh, can you just rewrite it so it's cleaner? Like, yeah, let me spend 15 minutes rewriting this entire contract <laughs> out. Let me write the names out. Let me write the address out five times. Like, let me do all this and then send it back to me. Now I can do it instantly. And go select all, whatever, send all, share all, whatever. It's, but it's, it's instantaneous. But the fact that that was only five years ago blows my mind. And then you start looking at other stuff in the industry. It's like, why are we still doing certain yep. things the way we're doing it? And it makes there are no some sense. things like I do that now, like even on the phone, like I have some apps on there that I can do, you know, like the septic or, or like a water test or something like that. that because of that technology, mm-hmm. when the lab sends me those results, I can literally just go on the phone and, and forward that. That oh, lab result right that. to like, you. You got an email. I saw three minutes later. It was sent to me. You just yeah. got it. Like I love it. Yeah, just forward, quick forward. You know, over. I don't have to wait for the lab to mail me the results and then okay, now I've got to scan it to my assistant and send it to you. The technology advancement that we've made in the last ten years is incredible, and and I'm ashamed to say that like that whole tablet thing that I'm talking about putting in the truck the truck mount system that I'm just getting to, but it's been six months of research making sure that we're right finding the right equipment that's going to do the right job but not only just that the software i want the right software that people have instant access i don't want to have you saying oh here's a key code you have to go online and download this report to you no no done Mm -hmm. review send or here's your contract sign it right here in front of me here's it is on my phone you don't have to mail this back to me Sign right here on the phone. Here's what it says. Read it. Take your time. Whatever. But having that that application and everything available at people's fingertips, you know, sometimes may seem like we're all racing to get to the finish line as fast as possible. But honestly, it just makes our lives a little bit simpler, so we have more time to do with family. And then really, when we step out of work, we can breathe a little bit. Or when we're done the transaction, we can breathe. Yeah, I just I just hate wasting time. I'm just like a time like. At the end of the day, if something's wasting time or inefficient, I'm like, well, how can we just get it to get time back to do something other than have this you task ever mi- listened? To, and then you probably have the one minute manager. I, I I'm aware of the book. I've never heard the is a podcast. So, so listen to the the audio on okay. that sometime. Uh, it's a great the, the book, the one minute manager. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. There's there's an audio book on it too. Um, in one part, now the manager just says one thing because this guy comes in with a problem. He comes in the door and he's like, "I got all blah blah blah." And the manager says, "Look, 
you're wasting my time. You're telling me all the stuff that's wrong. Tell me what the problem is. Tell me how you can fix it, and we can move on. And if you can't do that in one minute or less, you're wasting my time. Mm-hmm. Because his, he's got 25 other people doing the same thing. And if he's always doing that, how can he do his job? How can he go out there and sell real estate if he's always doing Nicole's job and Nikki's job and everybody else? So we have to have people doing their own things, but taking responsibility and actions and not wasting each other's time. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't want to call you to tell you a bunch of petty things on a home inspection. You're right. Something crucial that may be potentially a deal breaker. I'm going to say, hey, listen, you got five. Call me on this one. I got a couple of issues that we really need to discuss. Mm-hmm. They may be, and I want you to be aware of that. But other than that, I'm not going to waste your time. Yeah. And like I said, why would I? We talk. I would say we talk legitimate. We talk more out of business. Than we do in business. So like yeah. I think business wise, a handful of times a year max, and it's a lot of it's like <laughs> at best. Yeah, right? it's like you do your thing, I do my thing. We'll be good. And I think that's important. I think you gotta again go back to it. You gotta put the trust in the people that you're hiring. Um, I think the the inefficiency aspect though. The the problem I don't know I just think inefficiency sometimes is lack of change I think sometimes people are just so set that they're just like hey it's the way it's always been done I'm comfortable I don't like change and I think that is I want to say I'm not to say generational I think it's um, I think everybody does it I'm sure people that are in a position for years again say they've been in the business for thirty years I'm sure when they were five ten years in the business they were really apt to change I don't know maybe twenty years from now I'm gonna be like ah, I don't want to change possibly. And I think um, my hope is that I don't do it, that I'm always constantly looking to evolve and change. And again, Scott and uh, I know many other people that are, um, you know, very, you know, they might be, you know, probably over halfway in their career kind of deal, maybe on the back, maybe on the the back nine of their career. But at the end of the day, they're still, mentality is still new. They're still, hey, I want to get better. Hey, I want to find a a more efficient way. Hey, I want to have a leg up on the competition or, hey, I want to make myself a slightly better. How do I do that? And they do it with the idea that they are just trying to evolve and, and, and move the industry forward. I think our industry has taken stuff, has gone forward um, in the last 10 years on a few items, but there's still a couple items that I would like to see changed. Some are minor, some are, I would deem, major issues. But I think at the end of the, year, end of the day, a lot of stuff eventually happens over time. And I think it also has to do with the amount of people, or I guess I say the like the industry, but also the people in general. Like... I'm what, 30, 31 now. So I look at myself as, I mean, 31, there's 150 agents. I would say 15 might be younger than me, if that, 10%. And that was the other thing. That's what I was saying. I think we're at a tipping point in And I'm saying 10% industry. and a lot of them work here. Yeah, <laughs> like uh, a tipping point where we see a lot of the industry in the real estate in general, everybody's like, you know, they're 50 I think 55, the 60. for a realtor is 50-something years old. Yeah, I'm going to say 55 to 60 in that in that category. Mm-hmm. We need these new young and up-and-coming agents. And as I see those new ones come in, they have a completely different perspective on things. I mean, nothing against any of the older realtors. I think they know their game and they know it really well because they are seasoned. They've seen all those things and they've paid their dues and they've dealt with you know, going through the, the process of, of, you know, all these different styles of homes and buyers and sellers over the years and they've learned a lot of things and they've gained a lot of respect and clientele but the new young and up-and-coming realtors i think they're they're receptive to new ideas and change that's gonna i think gonna change our industry together as a whole in the years to come yeah and i'm hoping like i would say under 
I'd say if we take take the industry, I would be really surprised if I'd say a quarter of the agents are forty and under. Look at the agents today that are they're paying to have guys come in special just to do drone service. Mm-hmm. They're having these people putting these set up these three D cameras. They're doing interviews with their clients. They're doing photoshops of their clients before and after the sales or, or during or whatever, and they're posting it. They're using the the Facebook or the social media to really broadcast their appearance in the, in the neighborhood and what they do and how they do it better or different or, or whatever. But that wasn't being done in the past. You saw someone sign on the side of the road. They didn't have the access to that. And so we, we are seeing some of that older clientele, the older agents and so forth, trying to use that on their way on their way out of the, or on the, on the end game. But the new agents, that's all they're doing. They're doing it different and, and they're making it exciting in the process. Yeah, I'm hoping that the the wave of people, at least to the industry, change it. And I think the younger people are being more receptive. Um, I think over time, our core group of realtors, as they as like our age bracket gets older, will start embracing a lot of it the, because they're embracing stuff now. It's just when you're trying, and like I like I said, when like new say attorneys come in like I'm John on those new attorneys being like, listen, this is some inefficient stuff that we're dealing with that we've dealt with forever. And maybe certain, you know, attorneys have been doing it for years and years. That's the way they've always done it. And I'm like, it's not the correct way. And I'm not saying it's bad or wrong. It's just, it's got to evolve and everything has to evolve. It's not what, what they're doing is was wrong or is technically wrong, but is it the best route or is it the best way of doing it? Or can we do it a more efficient way and a way that we can grow and, and, and go into the future again, where we're not like, wasting extra effort it's like hey if we if we can get we can accomplish the same goal but this one's quicker and easier more efficient or more thorough yeah. or whatever let's go that route instead of doing can it- you imagine if we had if we picture this we got five new agents or 10 new agents or 20 new agents okay and we've got a couple of lenders and we've got a couple of appraisers and a couple of inspectors and we walk all walk through this mock home mm-hmm. okay and we give ourselves a time frame we have 20 minutes. Everybody has 20 minutes. You've got 20 minutes to evaluate the listing and potential of this property, the selling potential, the buyer's potential, the the lender looks at you know financing or the availability of financing, the appraiser looks at the value, and the inspector looks at all the issues that may come to arise, and we all meet at the end of 20 minutes, and everybody gets educated on everybody's point of view. How much information are we exchanging hands right there that everybody becomes – gets a very different picture of that and learns something very quickly. You know, what I always find, so one of the major things that kills me in real estate is the fact that closings take eight <laughs> weeks to me is a joke. It's an absolute joke. And I don't know how it, I, and if somebody can give me a good reason as to why it takes eight weeks, legitimately why it takes eight weeks, I would love to hear it. Because what I always find pretty comical is that if there's an issue, and we're sit, all sitting at the closing table. We have attorneys, we have a lender, we have an agent, we have the clients, and there's a problem. Majority of the time, that is finished before we get off the closing yeah. table, less than a couple minutes. Because we're all there, and we're like, doom, boom, 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 because yeah. everybody's right there. I said, the problem is, it's when things get pushed, and the communication's lacking, and people aren't getting back to each other, and people are just like, like taking their time and not communicating. All of a sudden, that eight-week process, the actual, and I get it, like we're not working on one deal, but the same token, eight weeks to do anything in real estate blows my mind why it's such a long wait. But a lot of it is, okay, 
you're done. Now it goes here. Now we're waiting. We're waiting. We're waiting. Okay. Now it's been three days. Now we got an answer back. Okay. Now where we go from here? And it's out of that eight weeks, how much is actually being worked on? A lot of that's just dead time. And you might get if some excuse, but like at the end of the day, it's just if, sitting there. Yeah. If you told the average potential buyer, oh, by the way, it's going to be three months before we can get you into this. They're going to lock. Well, if you, if, if you go out of New York State, and there's some places that close much quicker, but like you go down to Florida, it's 30 days. Like I got people that I know in other parts of the country that are realtors. I'm like, yeah, it takes us eight weeks. Well, eight weeks. And we closed a deal last week in three, like with financing, with inspection, everything in three weeks, four weeks. I'm like, I know it's a joke. And the problem is with real estate is majority of the issues that I find with clients where they start to get antsy and, and I don't blame them for it is usually around the six week mark. Yeah. It's about, they get about four to five weeks. Then it's like, because all the, the newness six, wears off. Well, and, the five to six week mark, it's like, okay, when we move it in, okay, are we almost done? Okay. Where we, and then all of a sudden because they've like, taken that first week, they've looked at the house second week, they secured the contract. The third week they've had the home inspection. The fourth week they got the appraisal or the fifth week. And now, like you said, all the little things are done. And you're like, okay, what's going on, guys? Yeah. What, what's happening? And, and it just blows my mind because I'm sitting there. I'm like, it's, it just should be done quicker. And it, it, you just get to that point where when we start to find problems and people start getting upset and then and all of a sudden tensions get high and emotions get high and fingers get pointed is when we should be already closed. <laughs> and the fact that – and again, this is something that I want to get. And, and, and I have yet, I've yet to find a legitimate reason as to why it has is not quicker because a lot of the times if it's not quicker, then is each indus, or industry – each I guess industry within that process, are they working the most efficient if it's taking them eight weeks to do the job? I would deem no. Like, I mean, there's no way. There's like I've seen deals close in four to five to six weeks. Now I know some of it has to do with underwriting. But like you can point at there's inefficiency somewhere if it's taking us that long. So it's but like why would it take the underwriter longer than it should? You know what I mean? Why would it take the title search longer than it should? You know, like you said, what are we doing? Where are we dropping the ball that's not becoming efficient? Is it someone that's, is their staff overloaded to the point where they have limited resources to do their job at a due diligence? Are are they like the inspector who is having to go back to the office every day to do reports at the end of the day and not being able to do it on the fly? Where, where can they make the improvements to better the industry? But I, I tell my clients, I'm like, by the way, this is a long process. When the dust settles and you finally move in, Please pull out that inspection report again and look through it and call me if you've got questions because it's going to be a few weeks from now before that happens. That's just a courtesy from me to them saying, don't forget, you can call me back later. Mm-hmm. But I also know that it's going to be before Forever. they move in. And they might move back in and, and another month and a half going, what did he tell us about that? I mean, I like look at my board behind me. Yeah. And there's some of those I'm like, how come that hasn't closed yet? And if I go back to when we actually went under contract, I mean, it's like, there's a handful of those that, yeah, like we're well over six or eight weeks. And it's like, why, why are we eight weeks over on that deal? Like what? Yeah. Like it's uh, been a pretty- the lower part of the board of this is a JB on it. I'm like, really? I thought you guys were. Oh, well that, that's a little bit of, uh, yeah, this one. Oh, this one. Yes. That one. Yeah. Oh yeah. That's another one. Yeah. Oh, you said J- Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. that's one where I'm like, uh, yeah, same thing. And then, I see you got the brewer on there. Third one down from his. Yeah, no, no, up one, yeah, right there. Yeah, yeah. That, that's well, that's <laughs> land. That hasn't yeah. Like I'm sitting, there, I'm like, right? How difficult is land? At one point, I, had I know five, the I had five land listings, and they that with all cash, all should be closing within like weeks. Wow. Five weeks, six weeks. I'm like, well, it's cash. We literally just have to like run the title and then get to the closing table. This could be done in a week or two, tops. 
and we're at five, six weeks. Like, where's the disconnect? And you do know that. I mean, I tell you guys this all the time, but I mean, you know, a lot of times to the realtors is like, yes, you want great photography on all your homes and stuff, but if you're just doing land and, and I'm out in that direction and you just say, hey, where are you at this week? Oh, I'm in Schuyler Falls. Can you swing by this lot and give me a couple aerial footage? Absolutely. Yeah. Do you just want something to post? Yeah. And I'll get you some great photos. You know what? I always try to give back to the realtors. I mean, I really thank you guys for the business. Thanks for being receptive to me. Thanks for trusting me with your clients and your listing. Um, I give free radon tests to any realtors and, and throughout the three counties that I service. So if you want your home tested for radon, it's free. Just go stick it in there. Go stick the radon. Yeah, yeah. Plug it in and see what happens. Come back in a couple days. Yeah, I'll see you four days and tell you if you're gonna die in twenty years or not. You know. Uh, Yeah. The the uh, yeah no I I just think it's it's uh, no you've always been good like that grabbing a sign you know hey I'm in the area hey I gotta go check exactly hey I'm driving by hurricane traffic let me just go swing by later tonight on my way home and I remember uh, Heather oh my god she worked for Facet there real tall tall she bartended in the evenings oh uh um oh my goodness last name uh rye yes right yeah 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 I, got that she, I too, was yeah. out by a sable somewhere and she had this little camp on the water and it was like i don't know december and she's like can you grab my sign i go to pull it out it is frozen solid in the ground i'm like crap this is my only hot coffee I have, and I'm pouring it down. Really? Oh, I would have said Heather. I'm suck. pouring it on the ground to try and loosen the, the ground a little bit so I can do that. I'd be like, hey, it's going to be out in three months when the snow thaws, <laughs> the ground thaws. But uh, no, I said I'd do it, and I was like, I'm going to grab like I would with you, you know, or. Well, Scott, if you're ever or, sacrificing a coffee, don't do that. Yeah. I'm Anybody, just, you know, the realtors, <laughs> that's one thing I've always. If I'm in the area and you need a sign, don't hesitate. Just, hey, if you're out there this week, ask. Because if I'm right next door, how big of a deal is that to me? I'm in your town every single day. Yeah. It's not a big deal. Yeah. Um, well, Scott, we're hitting our, uh, our, we are. our quota here. Um, <laughs> and I got to go to the bathroom. So um, I appreciate you coming on. This is a lot of fun. I'm glad, I'm glad you did. It was good. Just, like I said, I got to relax and just kind of hang out for a bit. Yeah. And nothing, nothing too crazy. So, um, Scott, if anybody needs to find you, if anybody needs to contact you, how do they find you? Where are you at? Give all uh, you the can, details. Listen, uh, thanks to Galen Trombley here. Obviously, social media has been my very good friend lately. So you can you can connect through me on Facebook, uh, Instagram, uh, Facebook Messenger. You can email me at tricountyinspectors at gmail.com. Or you can also reach me through Inspectopia, Inspectopedia. Uh, uh, excuse me. Uh, also, you can 518-593-4507. But just Google Tri-County Inspectors or Tri-County Inspections, either one, you're going to find Scott Sterling. Uh, I love serving my community, and I love helping my clients. That's, that's what I do. That's what I love. That's my passion. And he's not afraid to get dirty. So I am not. <laughs> <laughs> well, Thanks, man. Uh, yeah, Scott, I appreciate it. Again, that's episode 141 of the Galen Trombley Show. Thanks for listening to the Galen Trombley Show. If you want to reach me, you can go on Facebook at Galen Trombley, on Instagram at Galen Trombley, and on YouTube at Galen Trombley. The spelling, G-A-E-L-A-N-T-R-O-M-B-L-E-Y.